Chapter 3. Tuning into New Potentials in the Quantum Getting beyond our body, our environment and time isn't easy. But it's worth it because once we disconnect from three-dimensional reality, we enter a whole other reality called the quantum, the realm of infinite possibility. Describing this reality is a bit challenging because it's unlike anything we are familiar with in the physical universe. The rules of Newtonian physics, the way we are used to thinking the world works, simply don't apply. The quantum, or unified field, is an invisible field of energy and information, or you could say a field of intelligence or consciousness, that exists beyond space and time. Nothing physical or material exists there. It's beyond anything you can perceive with your senses. This unified field of energy and information is what governs all the laws of nature. Scientists have been working to quantify this process so we can more fully understand it, and they are discovering more and more all the time. Based on my knowledge and experience, I believe there's a self-organizing intelligence that is energy, and it is observing all of the universes and galaxies into order. Sometimes people will say to me that this idea seems a bit unscientific. I always answer them with the same question. What happens after an explosion? Order or disorder? Their answer is always that disorder results. Then I ask, so why, after the Big Bang, which was the biggest explosion ever, has so much order been created? Some intelligence must be organizing its energy and matter into form and unifying all the forces of nature to create such a masterpiece. That intelligence, that energy, is the quantum or unified field. To give you some idea of what this field is like, imagine taking away all the people and bodies on Earth, all the animals and plants and physical objects, both natural and man-made, all the continents, the oceans, and even the Earth itself. Imagine you could then take away all the planets and moons and stars in our solar system, including our sun. And then imagine taking away all the other solar systems in our galaxy, and then all the galaxies in the universe. There's no air, and there isn't even any light that you can see with your eyes. There's just absolute blackness, the void, the zero-point field. It's important to remember this because when you as a consciousness in the present moment unfold into the unified field, you will be in an infinite black space, void of anything physical. Now imagine that not only do you not see anything here, but because you enter into this realm without a physical body, you also have no sight with which to see, nor do you have the capacity to hear, feel, smell or taste. You have no senses here at all. The only way you can exist in this quantum is as an awareness. Or better said, the only way you can experience this realm is with your awareness, not your senses. And since consciousness is awareness, and awareness is paying attention and noticing, once you are beyond the world of the senses, when you pay attention to the energy of the quantum field, your consciousness is connecting to greater levels of frequency and information. 
Yet as strange as this may sound, the quantum field is not empty. It's an infinite field filled with frequency or energy, and all frequency carries information. So think of the quantum field as being filled with infinite amounts of energy vibrating beyond the physical world of matter and beyond our senses, invisible waves of energy available for us to use in creation. What exactly can we create with all this energy swimming in an infinite sea of potentials? That's up to us because, in short, the quantum field is the state in which all possibilities exist. And as I just said, when we find ourselves in the quantum universe, we exist simply as an awareness or as a consciousness, specifically an awareness that is paying attention to or observing a field of infinite possibilities existing within an even greater consciousness and a greater level of energy. As you enter this endless, vast space as an awareness, there are no bodies, no people, no objects, no places and no time. Instead, infinite unknown possibilities exist as energy. So if you find yourself thinking about knowns in your life, you are back in the three-dimensional reality of space and time. But if you can stay in the blackness of the unknown for long enough, it will prepare you to create unknowns in your life. In the previous chapter, when I was instructing you to return to the present moment, I was referring to you stopping yourself from thinking about the predictable future or from remembering the familiar past and simply unfolding into this eternal, vast space as an awareness, to no longer place your attention on anything or any one material in this three-dimensional reality, like your body, the people in your life, the things you own, the places you go, and time itself. If you do that properly, you are nothing but awareness. That's how you get there. Now let's back up a bit and look at how scientists came to discover the quantum universe, which happened when they began studying the subatomic world. They found that atoms, the building blocks of everything in the physical universe, are made up of a nucleus surrounded by a large field containing one or more electrons. This field is so large in comparison with the tiny electrons that appear to be 99.9999999999999% empty space. But as you just read, the space isn't actually empty. It's made up of a vast array of energetic frequencies that make up an invisible, interconnected field of information. So everything in our known universe, although it may appear to be solid, is actually 99.9999999999999% energy or information. In fact, most of the universe is made up of this empty space. Matter is an infinitesimally small component in relation to the immense space of nothing physical. Researchers soon discovered that the electrons that move around in that fast field behave in a completely unpredictable manner. They don't appear to be subject to the same laws that govern matter in our larger universe. They're here in one moment, 
and then gone the next, and it's impossible to predict where and when the electrons will appear. That's because, as the researchers eventually discovered, the electrons exist simultaneously in an infinite number of possibilities or probabilities. It is only when an observer focuses his or her attention and looks for something material that the invisible field of energy and information collapses into a particle we know as the electron. That is called collapsing the wave function or a quantum event. But as soon as the observer looks away, no longer observing the electron and taking his or her mind off the subatomic matter, it disappears back into energy. In other words, that particle of physical matter, the electron, can't exist until we observe it, give it our attention. And the moment we're no longer putting our attention on it, it turns back into energy, specifically an energetic frequency which scientists call a wave, and into possibility. In this way, mind and matter are related in the quantum. By the way, just as we as subjective consciousness are observing the electron into form, there's an objective universal consciousness that is constantly observing all of us and our three-dimensional reality into order and form as well. So what that means for you is this. If you're viewing your life from the same level of mind every single day, anticipating a future based on your past, you are collapsing infinite fields of energy into the same patterns of information called your life. For example, if you wake up and you think, where's my pain? Your familiar pain soon appears because you expected it to be there. Imagine what would happen instead if you were able to take your attention off the physical world and the environment. As you learned in the last chapter, when you take your attention off your body, you become nobody, and you no longer have access to, or any use for, the senses. When you take your attention off the people in your life, you become no one, and so you no longer have an identity as a parent, a partner, a sibling, a friend or even as a member of a profession, a religious group, a political party, or a nationality. You have no race, no gender, no sexual orientation, and no age. When you take your attention off objects and places in the physical environment, you are in no thing and nowhere. Finally, if you take your attention off linear time, which has a past and a future, you are in no time. You are in the present moment in which all possibilities in the quantum field exist. Because you are no longer identifying with or connected to the physical world, you are no longer trying to affect matter with matter. You are beyond matter and beyond how you identify yourself as a body in space and time. In a very real sense, you are in the immense blackness of the unified field when nothing material exists. That's the direct effect of continuously laboring to get to the present moment that I described in the previous chapter. The moment that happens, you unfold your attention and energy into an unknown field beyond matter where all possibilities exist, a field made up of nothing but invisible frequencies carrying information or consciousness. 
And just like the quantum scientists who took their attention off the electron, only to find that it reverted to energy and possibility, if you were to take your attention off your life, or get beyond the memory of your life, your life should turn into possibility. After all, if you focus on the known, you get the known. If you focus on the unknown, you create a possibility. The longer you can linger in that field of infinite possibilities as an awareness, aware that you are aware in this endless black space, without putting your attention on your body, on things, or on people, places, and time, the longer you invest your energy into the unknown, the more you are going to create a new experience or new possibilities in your life. It's the law. Brain Changes When you walk through the door to the quantum field, you can't enter as a somebody. You have to enter as a nobody, as only an awareness or a consciousness, a thought or a possibility, leaving behind everything else in the physical world and living only in the present moment. And as I said in the previous chapter, this process requires that you break your chemical addiction, at least temporarily, to the same emotions that used to drive your thoughts, and you stop feeling the same way so you can stop putting your attention on the three-dimensional world of matter, the particle, and instead put your attention on energy or possibility, the wave. Given all of that, you probably won't be surprised to learn that such an experience creates some pretty significant changes in your brain. First, because you are perceiving yourself as being beyond the physical world, which means there's no outside danger to anticipate, your thinking brain, the neocortex, the seat of your conscious mind, slows down, becomes less aroused, and works in a more holistic fashion. Earlier, we talked about how living by the hormones of stress causes our brain waves to fire in a very disordered, incoherent pattern, which in turn means our bodies can't work efficiently, because we are trying to control and predict everything in our lives. We become excessively focused, shifting our attention from one person to another thing, to some place at a certain time, activating the various neurological networks assigned to each one of these knowns. Once we slip into the present moment and become aware of this infinite field of information where there is nothing physical, this eternal void, and once we are no longer analyzing or thinking about any body, any one, any thing, any place or any time, we are no longer activating those different compartments of neural networks in our brain. And as we move our awareness from a narrow focus on matter, objects, people, places, our bodies and time, in our external environment, and instead open our focus and become aware of the vastness of this infinite blackness by putting our attention on nothing, on space and energy and information, our brain begins to change. The different compartments that were once subdivided now start to unify and move toward a coherent whole brain state. Different neural communities reach out and form bigger communities. They synchronize, organize and integrate. And what sinks in the brain begins to link in the brain. Once your brain gets coherent, you get coherent. When it gets orderly, you get orderly. When it works well, you work well. In short, 
when it functions more holistically, you feel more whole. In other words, once you start connecting to the unified field as an awareness, or once you become more aware of it by paying attention to it, your biology becomes more whole and unified, since the unified field is by definition a unifying energy. To more clearly see the difference between coherence and incoherence, take a look at graphic 2 in the color insert as well as figure 3.1. As you can see, when brain waves are coherent, they are in phase with one another. Both their crests, their high points, and their troughs, their low points, match. Because coherent brain waves are more orderly, they are also more powerful. You could say they speak the same language, follow the same rhythm, dance to the same beat, and share the same frequency, so they find it easier to communicate. They're literally on the same wavelength. When brain waves are incoherent, on the other hand, the electrochemical messages or signals they are sending to different parts of the brain and body are mixed and erratic, so the body cannot then operate in a balanced optimal state. The second change our brains experience when we enter the quantum is that our brain waves move into a slower frequency, from beta brain waves to coherent alpha and theta brain waves. That's important because as we slow down our brain waves, our consciousness moves out of the thinking neocortex and into the midbrain, the limbic brain, and there it connects with the autonomic nervous system, the body's subconscious operating system. See figure 3.2. This is the part of the nervous system that is in charge of digesting food, secreting hormones, regulating body temperature, controlling blood sugar, keeping our heart beating, making antibodies that fight infections, repairing damaged cells, and myriad other functions of our bodies over which most scientists believe we have no conscious control. Basically, the autonomic nervous system keeps you alive. Its main job is to create order and homeostasis, which balances the brain and ultimately the body. The more we can linger in the present moment as no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, the more integrated and coherent our brain becomes. This is when the autonomic nervous system steps in and begins to heal the body because our consciousness merges with its consciousness. In other words, when you are in the present moment, you get out of your own way. As you become pure consciousness, pure awareness, and change your brainwaves from beta to alpha and even to theta, the autonomic nervous system, which knows how to heal your body much better than your conscious mind does, steps in and finally has an opportunity to clean house. That's what creates brain coherence. If you look at graphics 3A-3C in the color insert, you'll see three different brain scans. Graphic 3A is a normal scan of someone in normal thinking beta brainwaves. Graphic 3B was recorded while a student was performing an open focus, showing coherent, synchronized alpha brainwaves. Graphic 3C represents a deeper brainwave state of coherent, synchronized theta. If in this state you are no longer reaffirming the known, your same life, 
and instead you keep investing your energy into the unknown, as you would invest money in a bank account, then you are able to create new, unknown possibilities in your life. Just as the material electron expands back to immaterial energy in the quantum field once scientists stop observing it, when you no longer observe your pain, your routine life and your problems, they will turn back into energy, into an infinite number of possibilities, into pure potential. Only once you are truly present in this potent place beyond this space and time, the place from where all things materially come, can you begin to create real change. At a four-day advanced workshop in 2016 in Tacoma, Washington, we conducted a study to show how this actually works. We measured the brain waves of 117 workshop participants using electroencephalograms. EEG measurements were taken before and after the workshop. We were looking to see if we could detect changes in two different measures of brain function. The first measure was how long it took the subjects to achieve a meditative state defined by the ability to maintain an alpha brainwave state for at least 15 seconds. We found that the participants were able to achieve meditative states 18% quicker by the end of the four-day workshop. The second measure we looked at was the ratio between delta brainwaves, associated with moving into deeper levels of the subconscious mind, and high-range beta brainwaves, usually associated with high levels of stress. Anxious people usually have lots of high-range beta and a lower level of delta brainwave frequencies. We were looking to see if meditation, specifically the successful practice of slipping into the quantum realm and becoming no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, might improve those values, and in fact, it did. Participants lowered their high-range beta brainwaves, indicating they were feeling less stress, by an average of 124%, and increased their delta brain waves, indicating a greater feeling of oneness during meditation, by an average of 149%. The amount of high-range beta brain waves diminished relative to the amount of delta waves by 62%, and this all happened in only four days. Look at figure 3.3 to see these results. You'll notice that some of the changes we measured were greater than 100%, indicating these participants were able to make unusually significant improvements relatively quickly. That's pretty supernatural. Chapter 3. Tuning into New Potentials in the Quantum Getting beyond our body, our environment and time isn't easy. But it's worth it because once we disconnect from three-dimensional reality, we enter a whole other reality called the quantum, the realm of infinite possibility. Describing this reality is a bit challenging because it's unlike anything we are familiar with in the physical universe. The rules of Newtonian physics, the way we are used to thinking the world works, simply don't apply. The quantum, or unified field, is an invisible field of energy and information, or you could say a field of intelligence or consciousness, that exists beyond space and time. Nothing physical or material exists there. 
is beyond anything you can perceive with your senses. This unified field of energy and information is what governs all the laws of nature. Scientists have been working to quantify this process so we can more fully understand it, and they are discovering more and more all the time. Based on my knowledge and experience, I believe there's a self-organizing intelligence that is energy, and it is observing all of the universes and galaxies into order. Sometimes people will say to me that this idea seems a bit unscientific. I always answer them with the same question. What happens after an explosion? Order or disorder? Their answer is always that disorder results. Then I ask, so why, after the Big Bang, which was the biggest explosion ever, has so much order been created? Some intelligence must be organizing its energy and matter into form and unifying all the forces of nature to create such a masterpiece. That intelligence, that energy, is the quantum or unified field. To give you some idea of what this field is like, imagine taking away all the people and bodies on Earth, all the animals and plants and physical objects, both natural and man-made, all the continents, the oceans, and even the Earth itself. Imagine you could then take away all the planets and moons and stars in our solar system, including our sun. And then imagine taking away all the other solar systems in our galaxy, and then all the galaxies in the universe. There's no air, and there isn't even any light that you can see with your eyes. There's just absolute blackness, the void, the zero-point field. It's important to remember this because when you as a consciousness in the present moment unfold into the unified field, you will be in an infinite black space, void of anything physical. Now imagine that not only do you not see anything here, but because you enter into this realm without a physical body, you also have no sight with which to see, nor do you have the capacity to hear, feel, smell or taste. You have no senses here at all. The only way you can exist in this quantum is as an awareness. Or better said, the only way you can experience this realm is with your awareness, not your senses. And since consciousness is awareness, and awareness is paying attention and noticing, once you are beyond the world of the senses, when you pay attention to the energy of the quantum field, your consciousness is connecting to greater levels of frequency and information. Yet as strange as this may sound, the quantum field is not empty. It's an infinite field filled with frequency or energy. And all frequency carries information. So think of the quantum field as being filled with infinite amounts of energy vibrating beyond the physical world of matter and beyond our senses invisible waves of energy available for us to use in creation. What exactly can we create with all this energy swimming in an infinite sea of potentials? That's up to us because, in short, the quantum field is the state in which all possibilities exist. And as I just said, when we find ourselves in the quantum universe, we exist simply as an awareness or 
as a consciousness, specifically an awareness that is paying attention to or observing a field of infinite possibilities existing within an even greater consciousness and a greater level of energy. As you enter this endless, vast space as an awareness, there are no bodies, no people, no objects, no places and no time. Instead, infinite unknown possibilities exist as energy. So if you find yourself thinking about knowns in your life, you are back in the three-dimensional reality of space and time. But if you can stay in the blackness of the unknown for long enough, it will prepare you to create unknowns in your life. In the previous chapter, when I was instructing you to return to the present moment, I was referring to you stopping yourself from thinking about the predictable future or from remembering the familiar past and simply unfolding into this eternal, vast space as an awareness to no longer place your attention on anything or any one material in this three-dimensional reality like your body, the people in your life, the things you own, the places you go, and time itself. If you do that properly, you are nothing but awareness. That's how you get there. Now let's back up a bit and look at how scientists came to discover the quantum universe, which happened when they began studying the subatomic world. They found that atoms, the building blocks of everything in the physical universe, are made up of a nucleus surrounded by a large field containing one or more electrons. This field is so large in comparison with the tiny electrons that appear to be 99.9999999999999% empty space. But as you just read, the space isn't actually empty. It's made up of a vast array of energetic frequencies that make up an invisible, interconnected field of information. So everything in our known universe although it may appear to be solid, is actually 99.9999999999999% energy or information. In fact, most of the universe is made up of this empty space. Matter is an infinitesimally small component in relation to the immense space of nothing physical. Researchers soon discovered that the electrons that move around in that fast field behave in a completely unpredictable manner. They don't appear to be subject to the same laws that govern matter in our larger universe. They're here in one moment, and then gone the next, and it's impossible to predict where and when the electrons will appear. That's because, as the researchers eventually discovered, the electrons exist simultaneously in an infinite number of possibilities or probabilities. It is only when an observer focuses his or her attention and looks for something material that the invisible field of energy and information collapses into a particle we know as the electron. That is called collapsing the wave function or a quantum event. But as soon as the observer looks away, no longer observing the electron and taking his or her mind off the subatomic matter, it disappears back into energy. 
In other words, that particle of physical matter, the electron, can't exist until we observe it, give it our attention. And the moment we're no longer putting our attention on it, it turns back into energy, specifically an energetic frequency which scientists call a wave, and into possibility. In this way, mind and matter are related in the quantum. By the way, just as we as subjective consciousness are observing the electron into form, there's an objective universal consciousness that is constantly observing all of us and our three-dimensional reality into order and form as well. So what that means for you is this. If you're viewing your life from the same level of mind every single day, anticipating a future based on your past, you are collapsing infinite fields of energy into the same patterns of information called your life. For example, if you wake up and you think, where's my pain? Your familiar pain soon appears because you expected it to be there. Imagine what would happen instead if you were able to take your attention off the physical world and the environment. As you learned in the last chapter, when you take your attention off your body, you become nobody, and you no longer have access to, or any use for, the senses. When you take your attention off the people in your life, you become no one, and so you no longer have an identity as a parent, a partner, a sibling, a friend, or even as a member of a profession, a religious group, a political party, or a nationality. You have no race, no gender, no sexual orientation, and no age. When you take your attention off objects and places in the physical environment, you are in no thing and nowhere. Finally, if you take your attention off linear time, which has a past and a future, you are in no time. You are in the present moment in which all possibilities in the quantum field exist. Because you are no longer identifying with or connected to the physical world, you are no longer trying to affect matter with matter. You are beyond matter and beyond how you identify yourself as a body in space and time. In a very real sense, you are in the immense blackness of the unified field where nothing material exists. That's the direct effect of continuously laboring to get to the present moment that I described in the previous chapter. The moment that happens, you unfold your attention and energy into an unknown field beyond matter where all possibilities exist, a field made up of nothing but invisible frequencies carrying information or consciousness. And just like the quantum scientists who took their attention off the electron only to find that it reverted to energy and possibility. If you were to take your attention off your life or get beyond the memory of your life, your life should turn into possibility. After all, if you focus on the known, you get the known. If you focus on the unknown, you create a possibility. The longer you can linger in that field of infinite possibilities as an awareness, aware that you are aware in this endless black space, without putting your attention on your body, on things, or on people, places, and time, the longer you invest your energy into the unknown, the more you are going to create a new experience or new possibilities in your life. It's the law. 
Brain Changes When you walk through the door to the quantum field, you can't enter as a somebody. You have to enter as a nobody, as only an awareness or a consciousness, a thought or a possibility, leaving behind everything else in the physical world and living only in the present moment. And as I said in the previous chapter, this process requires that you break your chemical addiction, at least temporarily, to the same emotions that used to drive your thoughts, and you stop feeling the same way so you can stop putting your attention on the three-dimensional world of matter, the particle, and instead put your attention on energy or possibility, the wave. Given all of that, you probably won't be surprised to learn that such an experience creates some pretty significant changes in your brain. First, because you are perceiving yourself as being beyond the physical world, which means there's no outside danger to anticipate, your thinking brain, the neocortex, the seat of your conscious mind, slows down, becomes less aroused, and works in a more holistic fashion. Earlier, we talked about how living by the hormones of stress causes our brain waves to fire in a very disordered, incoherent pattern, which in turn means our bodies can't work efficiently, because we are trying to control and predict everything in our lives. We become excessively focused, shifting our attention from one person to another thing, to some place at a certain time, activating the various neurological networks assigned to each one of these knowns. Once we slip into the present moment and become aware of this infinite field of information where there is nothing physical, this eternal void, and once we are no longer analyzing or thinking about any body, any one, any thing, any place or any time, we are no longer activating those different compartments of neural networks in our brain. And as we move our awareness from a narrow focus on matter, objects, people, places, our bodies and time, in our external environment, and instead open our focus and become aware of the vastness of this infinite blackness by putting our attention on nothing, on space and energy and information, our brain begins to change. The different compartments that were once subdivided now start to unify and move toward a coherent whole brain state. Different neural communities reach out and form bigger communities. They synchronize, organize and integrate. And what sinks in the brain begins to link in the brain. Once your brain gets coherent, you get coherent. When it gets orderly, you get orderly. When it works well, you work well. In short, when it functions more holistically, you feel more whole. In other words, once you start connecting to the unified field as an awareness, or once you become more aware of it by paying attention to it, your biology becomes more whole and unified, since the unified field is by definition a unifying energy. To more clearly see the difference between coherence and incoherence, Take a look at graphic 2 in the color insert, as well as figure 3.1. As you can see, when brain waves are coherent, they are in phase with one another. Both their crests, their high points, and their troughs, their low points, match. Because coherent brain waves are more orderly, they are also more powerful. You could say they speak the same language, follow the same rhythm, 
dance to the same beat and share the same frequency, so they find it easier to communicate. They're literally on the same wavelength. When brainwaves are incoherent, on the other hand, the electrochemical messages or signals they are sending to different parts of the brain and body are mixed and erratic, so the body cannot then operate in a balanced, optimal state. The second change our brains experience when we enter the quantum is that our brainwaves move into a slower frequency, from beta brainwaves to coherent alpha and theta brainwaves. That's important because as we slow down our brainwaves, our consciousness moves out of the thinking neocortex and into the midbrain, the limbic brain, and there it connects with the autonomic nervous system, the body's subconscious operating system. See figure 3.2. This is the part of the nervous system that is in charge of digesting food, secreting hormones, regulating body temperature, controlling blood sugar, keeping our heart beating, making antibodies that fight infections, repairing damaged cells, and myriad other functions of our bodies over which most scientists believe we have no conscious control. Basically, the autonomic nervous system keeps you alive. Its main job is to create order and homeostasis, which balances the brain and ultimately the body. The more we can linger in the present moment as no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, the more integrated and coherent our brain becomes. This is when the autonomic nervous system steps in and begins to heal the body because our consciousness merges with its consciousness. In other words, when you are in the present moment, you get out of your own way. As you become pure consciousness, pure awareness, and change your brainwaves from beta to alpha and even to theta, the autonomic nervous system, which knows how to heal your body much better than your conscious mind does, steps in and finally has an opportunity to clean house. That's what creates brain coherence. If you look at graphics 3A-3C in the color insert, you'll see three different brain scans. Graphic 3A is a normal scan of someone in normal thinking beta brainwaves. Graphic 3B was recorded while a student was performing an open focus, showing coherent, synchronized alpha brainwaves. Graphic 3C represents a deeper brainwave state of coherent, synchronized theta. If in this state you are no longer reaffirming the known, your same life, and instead you keep investing your energy into the unknown, as you would invest money in a bank account, then you are able to create new, unknown possibilities in your life. Just as the material electron expands back to immaterial energy in the quantum field once scientists stop observing it, when you no longer observe your pain, your routine life and your problems, they will turn back into energy, into an infinite number of possibilities, into pure potential. Only once you are truly present in this potent place beyond this space and time, the place from where all things materially come, can you begin to create real change? At a four-day advanced workshop in 2016 in Tacoma, Washington, 
we conducted a study to show how this actually works. We measured the brain waves of 117 workshop participants using electroencephalograms. EEG measurements were taken before and after the workshop. We were looking to see if we could detect changes in two different measures of brain function. The first measure was how long it took the subjects to achieve a meditative state, defined by the ability to maintain an alpha brainwave state for at least 15 seconds. We found that the participants were able to achieve meditative states 18% quicker by the end of the four-day workshop. The second measure we looked at was the ratio between delta brainwaves, associated with moving into deeper levels of the subconscious mind, and high-range beta brainwaves, usually associated with high levels of stress. Anxious people usually have lots of high-range beta and a lower level of delta brainwave frequencies. We were looking to see if meditation, specifically the successful practice of slipping into the quantum realm and becoming no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, might improve those values, and in fact, it did. Participants lowered their high-range beta brainwaves, indicating they were feeling less stress. By an average of 124%, and increased their delta brainwaves, indicating a greater feeling of oneness during meditation, by an average of 149%. The amount of high-range beta brainwaves diminished relative to the amount of delta waves by 62%. And this all happened in only four days. Look at figure 3.3 to see these results. You'll notice that some of the changes we measured were greater than 100%, indicating these participants were able to make unusually significant improvements relatively quickly. That's pretty supernatural. Jace Goes Quantum when my oldest son Jace finished graduate school, he went to work for a large company in Santa Barbara that made sophisticated cameras for the military. When he completed his contract, he moved to San Diego to work with a startup. After a while, though, he became disillusioned with the management and decided to leave the company and travel. He's a big wave surfer, so he came up with an elaborate plan to go all over Indonesia, Australia and New Zealand for seven months. He packed up his suitcase with the surfboards and off he went, and he had the time of his life. After six months, he called me from New Zealand and said, Dad, listen, I have to start thinking about what I'm going to do when I get back to the real world. I want to create a new and better job than my previous ones, but I want to do it differently. I've learned a lot from taking time off. Okay, I responded. There must be a potential in the quantum field that you can tune into that's related to a new job for you. Take out a piece of paper and write the letter J on it, and draw two squiggly lines around it to represent the electromagnetic field. Hang on, because you're going to be doing something similar in the meditation at the end of this chapter. Once he'd done that, I said, That J is a symbol that represents a possibility your clear intention of the job you want. But now we have to get very clear on exactly what kind of job you want, so let's list what's important to you in this job. 
I want you to think about the conditions of what that letter J for new job means to you. Under that J, I want you to write the word intention and list the specifics of what you want in your new job. You can write down anything you want except when or how it's going to happen. I want to be able to work from anywhere in the world, he told me, and I want to make the same amount of money I was making at my old job, or more. I want to have independent contracts for six months to a year, and I have to love what I do. Good. Anything else? I asked. Yeah. I want to be my own boss and lead my own team, he said. Okay. Now you have your clear intention, I told him. Every time you think of this letter J, can you associate the letter with the meaning you just gave it? All of the specifics of what you want that you just listed. He said he could do that. Then I asked him to think about how he was going to feel when it happened. Next to or below your sub-intentions that you listed to get clear on your new job, I told him, I want you to write elevated emotions, the energy of my future. Now, let's list them one by one. What are they? Empowered, in love with life, Free and grateful, he told me, identifying the elevated emotions he would use to bring this job to him. All that was left was just making everything line up. Take a look at figure 3.6 to see what Jace did. You have plenty of time on your hands right now. You're not doing much but surfing and relaxing on vacation, I told him. So it should be easy for you to create your future. Will you commit to doing what it takes to broadcast a new signature into the field every day? He agreed. Then I reviewed with him the concept of finding the present moment and getting centered and raising his energy so that his energy could carry his intention for his future. Just hold that symbol in your mind's eye while you radiate that energy into the space beyond your body in space, I instructed. Like tuning in to a radio station and picking up a frequency that carries information. The longer your awareness lingers in this energy, or the longer you are conscious of the energy of your future, the more likely you will be to call the experience to you. So just tune in to the energy of your future every day, and remember, whatever you broadcast into the unified field is your experiment with destiny. When there is a vibrational match between your energy and the energy of this potential, it will find you. So, Jace, can you stay there? Yeah, he replied. And then once you've been in that new state of being for some time, I want you to think about what you're going to do in your new job, I continued. What choices will you make? What things will you do? What experiences await you and how will they feel? I want you to live in that future reality in the present moment. Simply remember your future from that new state of being. Just as people tend to obsess about the worst thing that could happen to them in their lives every day, I was instead asking my son to obsess about some of the greatest things that could happen when his new job found him. 
Think about all the time you will have to surf, the traveling you can continue to do, the team of people you will work with, their strengths and the money you can save for a new house and a new car, I encouraged him. Have fun with those ideas each day. Just like the piano players and the muscle exercises that you read about in the last chapter, Jace was about to prime his brain and his body to look as if the future he wanted had already occurred. And since where you place your attention is where you place your energy, I continued, I want you to invest your attention and your energy into that new future. And just as your body follows your mind to the shower every morning, to a known, if you keep doing this process, your body is going to follow your mind to an unknown. Jace agreed to do the meditation every day. One month later, he returned, and the moment he landed in Los Angeles, he texted me and asked, Hey, Dad, I'm in the U.S. again. Can we talk? Uh-oh, I thought. Here we go. So I called him and asked how things were going. Great, Jace said. But I kind of ran out of money. I don't know what I'm going to do. Now, the father in me wanted to say, Don't worry, son, I'll spot you some money until you get back on your feet. But the teacher in me prevailed and responded, That's so cool, because now you're really going to have to create. Now you're in the unknown. Let me know how it goes. And I hung up. I could feel his discomfort, but I know my son, and I knew he would get focused and do the work. Since he was really feeling the heat now, Jace had to seriously step up his game. He drove to Santa Barbara to see his college roommates, and a bunch of them went snowboarding for four days, just as they do together every year. When the four-day weekend was over, he stopped back in Santa Barbara before coming home, and he happened to walk into a surf shop. All of a sudden, he saw the top surfboard fin designer in the world, who also just happened to be there. They started talking, and before long the designer told Jace, I'm looking for an engineer to design surfboard fins. We're going to revolutionize the industry together. I need him for six months to a year, and he can run his own show, do whatever he wants. All I care about is ending up with a high-quality product. You know how the story ends. Jace got the job, with a one-year contract that he can renew at any time. He makes more money now than he did in his other job. He loves his new career because of his passion for surfing. Sometimes he texts me and he says, I can't believe they pay me to show up and do this. He's his own boss, he can work from wherever he wants to, and he gets to go surfing to try out all the fins. He's in love with life. He didn't have to send a resume, he didn't have to make a phone call or write an email, and he didn't have to go anywhere to interview or fill out an application. The experience found him. When we become nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, we are taking our attention off all the distractions in our outer world that keep us from being present with the unified field of intelligence that is within us and all around us. 
we are turning inward and being present with a consciousness that is always present with us. The moment we line up with that omnipresent consciousness, as if we were looking directly in a mirror, it looks back at us, and it can finally reflect what we show it that we want. The longer we linger in this place of nothing material and invest our attention and energy into it, the closer we move to the unified field. And when we are at the altar of infinite potentials, when we change our energy, we change our lives. As we move toward it and trust in the unknown, without returning our awareness to the material world of the senses in three-dimensional reality, we experience more oneness and wholeness within. That process begins to fulfill our lack, our separation, our duality, our disease and our fractured personalities. Our biology becomes more whole as we become more whole. After all, when we are whole, there simply is no lack. Nothing can be missing. At that point, we are simply observing what already exists in the quantum field of all possibilities or potentials and bringing it to life with our attention and our energy. So now I have to ask you, what experience is out there in the quantum field waiting to find you? Preparing to tune in. This meditation requires a little advanced preparation. First, I want you to think about a potential experience you want to have. Remember that just like the electron before it collapses into matter, the experience already exists as an energy or a frequency in the quantum field. This is the energy that you're about to tune into. Some of our students have lowered their cholesterol levels just by tuning into a potential. They lowered their cancer markers. They've made tumors disappear. They've also created great new jobs, all-expense-paid vacations, new healthy relationships, more money, profoundly mystical experiences, and even winning lottery tickets. Believe me, my team and I have seen it all. So go ahead, step into the unknown. Once you have the new experience you want to create, assign a capital letter to it and then write that letter down on a piece of paper. Think of the letter as a symbol that represents that specific possibility in your life. Actually, putting it on paper instead of only thinking about it is important because the act of writing it down solidifies that you want it. Then draw two squiggly circular lines around the letter to represent the electromagnetic field you need to generate around your body to match that potential in the quantum. Now assign some meaning to that letter so that you can get even clearer about your intention. Think of some specific refinements of what you want and list at least four of them. The only thing I don't want you to consider including is any mention of a time frame. For example, if your intention is a great job, your list might look like this. Making 50000 a year more than I'm making now. Managing my own team of awesome professionals. Traveling all over the world on a generous expense account. Having exceptional health benefits and great stock options. Making a difference in the world. Now on that same piece of paper, write down the emotions you will feel 
when that imagined potential happens. You might write, empowered, unlimited, grateful, free, in awe, in love with life, joyful, worthy. Whatever it is for you, write it down. And if you think you won't know how it's going to feel because you haven't experienced it yet, then try gratitude. That works really well. Gratitude is a powerful emotion to use for manifesting because normally we feel gratitude after we receive something. So the emotional signature of gratitude means it has already happened. When you are thankful or you feel appreciation, you are in the ultimate state to receive. When you embrace gratitude, your body, as the unconscious mind, will begin to believe it is in that future reality in the present moment. These various emotions you just listed are the energy that is going to carry your intent. This is not an intellectual process. It is a visceral one. You have to really feel those emotions. You have to teach your body emotionally what that future is going to feel like before it happens. And you have to do that in the present moment. Now you're ready for the meditation. You can purchase the Tuning Into New Potential CD or MP3 download from drjoedispenza.com and follow along as I guide you, or you can choose to do the meditation on your own. Tuning Into New Potentials Meditation Start by resting your attention in different parts of your body as well as the space around those parts of your body. You will learn more about doing this and why it's important in the next chapter, but for now, it's enough to know that focusing on the space around your body helps change your brainwaves, moving you from an incoherent beta brainwave pattern to a coherent alpha and theta brainwave pattern. Become aware of the infinite, vast space way out behind your eyes in this eternal black space. The space in the center of your head. The space between the back of your throat and the back of your head. And then beyond your head in space. Then move to becoming aware of the space in the center of your throat. The space beyond your throat and around your neck. The space in the center of your chest the space around your body, the space behind your navel, and finally the space around your hips in this endless black void. With each of these, take your time and feel it. Become aware of it and stay present with it. Become aware of the vastness of space that the room you're in occupies in space and then extend your awareness to the vastness of space beyond the room in space, and finally, to the vastness of space that all of space occupies in space. Now it's time to take your attention off your body, the environment and time, and to become nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, to become pure consciousness, to unfold as an awareness into this infinite black space, an endless field where all possibilities exist. If you get distracted, simply return to the present moment, 
as we discussed in the previous chapter, keep unfolding into this immaterial space by continuously reinvesting your attention into it. Think about the potential that already exists in the quantum field that you want to tune into by remembering your letter. Sense the energy of that future potential within you and all around you and tune in to your future. When you do this, you'll be moving into a new state of being, broadcasting a whole new electromagnetic signature into the field. When there's a vibrational match between your energy and that potential, the new event is going to find you. You don't have to make anything happen. I want to be clear here. It might take more than a few meditations for your future opportunity to unfold. It could happen in a week, a month, or even longer. The key is to keep doing it until it occurs. Once you're in a new state of being, broadcasting a new electromagnetic signature, now remember your future before it happens and begin to mentally rehearse what that future will be like by living in that future. Make it as real as possible, calling up those elevated emotions you listed so you can teach your body emotionally what that future feels like. Surrender your creation to a greater mind, planting a seed in the infinite field of possibilities, and just let it go. Finally, bless your body with a new mind. Bless your life. Bless your challenges. Bless your soul. Bless your past. And bless your future. Bless the divine in you and open your heart and give thanks for a new life before it's made manifest. Slowly bring your awareness back to the room, and when you're ready, open your eyes. Get up from your meditation as though your future has already happened, and let the synchronicities and new possibilities find you. Chapter 4 Blessing of the Energy Centers We've been talking a lot about light and information or energy and consciousness. Now it's time to go a little deeper into those concepts to help explain how the next meditation works. As you already understand, everything in our known universe is made up of, or emits either light and information, or energy and consciousness, which are other ways of describing electromagnetic energy. In fact, these elements are so intimately combined that it's impossible to separate them. Look around you. Even if you don't see anything other than matter, objects, things, people or places, there's also a sea of infinite invisible frequencies that are carrying encoded information. That means not only that your body is made up of light and information, of energy and consciousness, but also that you as a conscious being with a body are made of gravitationally organized light packed with information that is continuously sending and receiving various frequencies all carrying different signals, just like a radio or a cell phone. All frequency, of course, carries information. Think about radio waves for a moment. There are radio waves moving through the room you're sitting in right now, 
If you turned a radio on, you could tune it to a specific wavelength or signal, and then a little transducer in the radio would pick up that signal and turn it into sound that you could hear and understand as your favorite song, the news, or even a commercial. Just because you can't see the radio waves in the air doesn't mean they aren't there, carrying distinct information on a specific frequency all the time. If you change the frequency a small degree and tune in to another station, a different message will be carried on that wavelength. Take a look at figure 4.1a, which shows the entire light spectrum and demonstrates all the electromagnetic frequencies that we know of. The visible light spectrum, where we perceive the various array of colors present in this world we live in, makes up less than 1% of all the frequencies of light that exist. That means that the majority of frequencies are beyond our perception, and therefore most of our known reality in this universe cannot be experienced by our senses. So aside from our ability to perceive light being absorbed or reflected off objects and things, the truth is that we are able to perceive only a very small spectrum of reality. There's a lot of other information available to us besides what we can see with our physical eyes. Remember that when I refer to light, I am talking about all light, which includes the entire spectrum of electromagnetic frequencies, seen and unseen, and not just visible light. For example, even though we don't see X-rays, they still exist. We know this because we as human beings have the ability to create X-rays, and we can also measure them. In fact, an infinite number of frequencies exist within the spectrum of X-ray light. X-rays are a faster frequency than the visible light we see, and therefore have more energy, because again, the faster a frequency is, the higher its energy. Matter by itself is the densest of frequencies because it's the slowest and the most condensed form of light and information. Take a look at figure 4.1b. Move your eyes along the horizontal line running through the waves, hills, and valleys, starting at the letter A, and then moving to B, and then to C. Each time you arrive at the next letter, you have just traveled a full cycle, which is referred to as a wavelength. So the distance between letters A and B is one wavelength. The frequency of a wave refers to the number of wavelengths, or cycles, produced in one second which is measured in hertz. Therefore, the faster the frequency of a wave, the shorter its wavelength. The converse is also true. The slower the frequency, the longer the wavelength. Figure 4.1c For example, light in the infrared frequency band has a slower frequency than light in the ultraviolet light frequency band. So the wavelengths for infrared light are longer and the wavelengths for ultraviolet light are shorter. Here's another example, this time from within the visible light spectrum. The color red has a slower frequency, 450 cycles per second, than the color blue, about 650 cycles per second. Therefore, the wavelength of red is longer than the wavelength of blue. Throughout history, people have made several different attempts to photograph and measure fields of light. One prominent example is Curlian photography, 
discovered in 1939 by Russian electrician and amateur inventor Semyon Davidovich Kurlian. With this technique, Kurlian was able to capture images of the electromagnetic field that surround both living and non-living objects. He found that by putting a sheet of photographic film on a metal plate, placing an object on top of the film, and applying a high-voltage current to the metal plate, an image of the electrical discharge between the object and the plate would show up on the film, appearing like a glowing silhouette of light around whatever was being photographed. In one of Curlian's many experiments, he reportedly photographed two seemingly identical leaves, one from a healthy plant and one from a diseased plant. The photograph of the leaf from the healthy plant showed a strong light field, while the other showed a much weaker glow, leading Curlian to believe that his photographic technique might be a means of assessing health. While scientists today debate the usefulness of Curlian photography as a diagnostic tool, research on the technique continues. A more recent development along these lines comes from German biophysicist Fritz Albert Popp, Ph.D., who has spent more than three decades studying biophotons, tiny, low-intensity light particles that are stored within and emitted by all living things. In 1996, Pop founded the International Institute of Biophysics, IIB, a network of research laboratories from more than a dozen countries around the world that study biophotons. Pop and his fellow IIB researchers believe that the information contained in these light particles, which are stored in DNA, communicates extremely effectively with the cells of the organism, thus playing a vital role in regulating the organism's function. These biophotons can be detected by an extremely sensitive camera designed to measure their emissions. The stronger the emissions, as well as the more intense and coherent the light field, the greater communication between cells and the healthier the organism. In order to sustain life and health, our cells communicate with each other by exchanging vital information transmitted on different frequencies of light. Pop discovered that the reverse is also true. When a cell does not emit enough organized and coherent electromagnetic energy, that cell becomes unhealthy. It's not able to share information with other cells very well, and without that exchange, it doesn't have what it needs. So the mechanistic version of the inner workings of the cell that we learned in high school biology is dated. Charged molecules attracting and repelling each other are not responsible for the way cells work. Instead, the electromagnetic energy that the cell emits and receives is the life force that governs those molecules. That's a vitalistic view that supports the truth of who we are. What all this means, in effect, is that we are quite literally beings of light, each radiating a very vital life force and expressing an actual light field around our bodies the totality of each cell expressing and contributing to a vital field of light that carries a message. It would be safe to say, then, that the more we define reality with our senses and live our lives as materialists, focusing primarily on the physical, and therefore the more we turn on the stress response, the more we may be missing out on valuable information. 
That's because the more we keep narrowing our focus on the matter, objects, things, people and places in our outer world, the less able we are to sense those other frequencies that aren't visible to the naked eye. And if we are unaware of them, they do not exist to us. As you have already read, and I hope begun to experience yourself with the meditation in the previous chapter, it's possible for you to tune in to certain frequencies around you, just like you can tune a radio dial to 107.3. When you close your eyes and sit still and eliminate the external environment, the static that normally keeps you from sensing those other frequencies, you can train yourself to get a clear signal and receive information from it. When you do this repeatedly, you tune into a new level of light and information that you can use to influence or affect matter. And when you do that, your body experiences syntropy, enhanced order, instead of entropy, disorder, physical breakdown and chaos. Once you can quiet down your analytical, thinking mind and more readily tune into this more orderly information, your body automatically responds by processing this new stream of consciousness and energy, thereby becoming more efficient, coherent and healthy. Convergent and Divergent Focus At the beginning of the meditation in the last chapter, I asked you to rest your attention in different parts of your body, as well as in this space around different parts of it. I want to dive deeper into why I ask you to do that in almost all my meditations. When you practice this, you sharpen your ability to master two different ways your brain can focus using convergent focus and divergent focus. Convergent focus is a single-minded or narrow focus on an object, anything having matter. That's the kind of focus you're displaying in my meditations when you rest your attention on a specific place in your body. It's the same kind of focus you use when you pay attention to objects in your environment. Typically, when you go to pick up a glass, call or text somebody, or tie your shoe, you use narrow focus. The majority of the time that you're in narrow focus, you're focusing on objects or things, matter, and people or places in the outer world, mostly things that have three dimensions. Remember our previous discussion about living in survival mode with the hormones of stress continually pumping through our bodies, helping us stay at the ready to fight or flee? When we're in that state, we narrow our focus even further because paying very close attention to the external physical world becomes very important. In effect, we become materialists, defining reality with our senses. The different compartments of the brain that normally work in community then begin to subdivide, no longer communicating effectively with each other and no longer working together seamlessly in a state of coherence, orderliness, now they're in an incoherent state, sending incoherent messages down the spinal cord to various parts of the body. We've seen this over and over again when we do the brain scans to measure brain waves. As I've said before, when your brain is incoherent, you are incoherent. And when your brain is not working right, you are not working right. It's as though instead of playing a beautiful symphony, your brain and body are producing a cacophony. 
And because of this unbalanced, incoherent state, you are left trying to control or force outcomes in your life. You try to predict a future that's based on the past, and you do that in part by paying more attention to your outer world of objects and things than to your inner world of thoughts and feelings. In other words, you stay in narrow, convergent focus, obsessively thinking about the same things over and over again. That's what stress does. It influences you to obsess about your problems so you can be prepared for the future worst-case scenario based on your past memories. Being prepared for the worst outcome gives you a better chance of survival because no matter what happens, you are prepared for it. However, when you change your attention from using this narrow focus to adopting a more open and broad focus, as you will do in this meditation, you can become aware of the space and so the light and energy around your body in space. This is called a divergent focus. You go from focusing on something to focusing on no thing, on the wave, energy, instead of the particle, matter. Reality is both the particle and the wave. It's both matter and energy. So when you practice using narrow focus to rest your attention in different parts of the body, acknowledging the particle, and then you open your focus so that you sense the space around these parts of your body in space, acknowledging the wave, your brain changes into a more coherent, balanced state. Entering the Subconscious Mind In the 1970s, Les Femi, Ph.D., director of the Princeton Biofeedback Center in Princeton, New Jersey, discovered how this shift in attention from narrow to open focus changes brainwaves. Femi, a pioneer in attention and biofeedback, was trying to find a method for teaching people how to move their brainwaves from beta, conscious thought, to alpha, relaxed and creative. The most effective way to make the shift, he discovered, was by directing people to become aware of space or nothingness, adopting what he called open focus. The Buddhist tradition has been using this method of meditation for thousands of years. As you open your focus and sense information instead of matter, your brainwaves slow down from beta to alpha. This makes sense because when you are sensing and feeling, you are not thinking. As your thinking brain, the neocortex, slows down, you are able to get beyond the analytical mind, also called the critical mind, which separates the conscious mind from the subconscious mind. See figure 4.2. Now you are able to move into the seat of your body's operating system, the autonomic nervous system, which you read about in the previous chapter and now your brain can work in a more holistic fashion. As you do the blessing of the energy centers meditation I will teach you later on in this chapter, you'll place your attention in each of your body's energy centers, also referred to as chakras, meaning wheels, in ancient East Indian Vedic texts, and then you'll open your focus. Because where you place your attention is where you place your energy, as you place your attention in each center, and your energy moves to it, each one of these individual centers begins to become activated. It's no mystery that if you have a sexual fantasy in your mind and brain, for example, 
As energy moves into that center of your body, it's going to become activated in a very specific way. And when it does, organs, tissues, chemicals, hormones, and nervous tissue are all going to respond. If you're hungry and you're thinking about what you're going to eat, it's no coincidence that your digestive juices turn on. You salivate and your body prepares for the experience of eating dinner because energy is activating that area. If you're thinking about telling your boss off or arguing with your daughter, you secrete adrenaline ahead of the actual confrontation. In each of these cases, the thought you're thinking becomes the experience. I will explain this in more detail in the next section when we talk about the individual energy centers. But for now, it's enough to know that this happens because each center produces its own chemical hormonal expression, which then activates the organs, tissues, and cells in each area. So imagine what would begin to happen if you were able to slow your brainwaves down in a meditation and get into the operating system of each of these energy centers by placing your attention in the space around each center, opening your focus. Each of these centers would then become more orderly and more coherent, which would signal neurons to create a new level of mind and activate the organs, tissues and cells of that region, producing each center's own hormones and chemical messengers. And if you did this repeatedly, over time, you would begin to affect real physical change. In the community of students who do this work, people have healed themselves of chronic bladder infections, prostate problems, impotence, diverticulitis, Crohn's disease, food allergies and sensitivities like celiac disease, ovarian tumors, elevated liver enzymes, acid reflux, heart palpitations, arrhythmias, asthma, lung conditions, back problems, thyroid conditions, throat cancer, neck pain, chronic migraine, headaches, brain tumors, and more. We've seen all kinds of improvements in people from doing this particular meditation, sometimes even after the very first time they do it. Those dramatic healings were possible because students were able to epigenetically change the expression of their DNA, switching some of their genes on and others off, changing how those genes express proteins in their physical bodies, as you learned in Chapter 2. How Your Body's Energy Centers Work We're about to take a closer look at each of the body's energy centers. But first I want to explain a bit more about how they work. Think of each of them as an individual center of information. Each has its own specific energy that carries a corresponding level of consciousness, its own emission of light expressing very specific information, or its own frequency carrying a certain message. Each also has its own individual glands, its own unique hormones, its own chemistry, and its own individual plexus of neurons. Think of these individual clusters of neurological networks as mini-brains. And if each one of those centers has its own individual brain, then each also has its own individual mind. Take a look at figure 4.3, which lists the location of each center, as well as the anatomy and physiology that are associated with each. 
As you learned in the second chapter, when consciousness activates neurological tissue, it creates mind. Mind is the brain in action. So if each one of these energy centers has a plexus of neurons, then each has its own individual mind. Or better said, each center has a mind of its own. What activates the mind is energy with a directive and intention, a conscious intent. When each of these centers becomes activated, it in turn activates hormones, tissues, chemicals, and cellular functions, and it emits energy. For example, when your first center, the seat of your reproductive glands, is activated with energy, its mind has a very specific agenda and intention. When you, as a conscious being, have a thought or a fantasy, that's consciousness, by the way, acting on neurological tissue. The next thing you know, your body is physiologically changing, and therefore so is your energy. Your body secretes chemicals and hormones from those corresponding glands to emotionally prepare you for intercourse. You have more energy in that center now, and it's releasing its own specific frequency, carrying an intentional message. That energy carrying the conscious intention is activating that reproductive center. And the mind in the brain is influencing the mind in the body at the level of its individual nerve plexus. This mind, located in that specific area of the body, through this mini brain, operates on the subconscious level through the autonomic nervous system. It's beyond your conscious control. We could say that the body is now following the mind as the mini brain in that energy center activates the related glands, which in turn activate corresponding hormones. That signaled the appropriate chemicals to change the body's emotional state and physiology. And then you are emitting a very clear energy, carrying a specific directive out of that center. We have all felt that kind of energy from a very sexual person. Once the energy is moving through that neurological tissue or plexus of neurons, it creates mind at that level. So when it's activated, that center has a mind of its own. The second center also has its own mind, and when we activate its mini brain and thus its mind, we trust our gut. And the same sequence of events happens in this center as we just saw in the first energy center, but with different corresponding neurocircuitry, hormones, chemicals, emotions, energy, and information. In fact, this area has been called the second brain. Because of the hundreds of millions of neurons and neural connections here, more than exist in either the spinal cord or in the peripheral nervous system. In fact, 95% of the feel-good hormone serotonin in your body is found not in your brain, but in your bowels. So, trusting our gut literally means trusting our instincts. It's almost as if our body and this center's brain. Can override our analytical, rational thinking brain and mind. How about your heart center? What happens when you lead with your heart? Like the first two centers, this fourth center, located in the middle of the chest, has its own frequency, its own hormones, its own chemicals, its own emotions, and its own mini brain that draws from a field of energy and information that surrounds it. And when you lead with your heart, you tend to be more caring, kind, inspired, selfless, compassionate, giving, grateful, trusting, and patient. 
When this mini-brain gets that information, it sends instructions and messages to the organs and tissues that are located in that part of the body, and you emit loving energy from this specific center of information. Now let's look at each of these energy centers in more detail. Some of the centers will overlap a bit in function, but for the most part, if you know even just a little about the body, they are pretty self-explanatory. You can review figure 4.3 again if you need to. Getting better acquainted with the energy centers. The first energy center governs the region of your sex organs, including your perineum, your pelvic floor, the glands that are connected to your vagina or penis, your prostate if you're a man, your bladder, your lower bowel, and your anus. This energy center has to do with reproduction and procreation, elimination, sexuality, and sexual identity. The hormones estrogen and progesterone in women and testosterone in men are correlated with this center. This energy center is also associated with the inferior mesenteric nerve plexus. A tremendous amount of creative energy exists in this first center. Think about the amount of energy used to make life and create a baby. When this center is in balance, your creative energy flows easily, and you are also grounded in your sexual identity. The second energy center is behind and slightly below your navel. It governs the ovaries, uterus, colon, pancreas, and lower back. It has to do with consumption, digestion, elimination, and the breaking down of food into energy including digestive enzymes and juices as well as the enzymes and hormones that balance your blood sugar levels. This center is also connected to the superior mesenteric nerve plexus. This energy center is also related to social networks and structures, relationships, support systems, family, cultures, and interpersonal relationships. Think about it as the center for holding on or letting go consuming or eliminating. When this center is in balance, you feel safe and secure both in your environment and in the world. The third energy center is located in the pit of your gut. It governs the stomach, small intestine, spleen, liver, gallbladder, adrenal glands, and kidneys. The associated hormones include adrenaline and cortisol, the kidney hormones, and chemicals like renin and angiotensin, erythropoietin, and all the liver enzymes, as well as the stomach enzymes like pepsin, trypsin, chymotrypsin, and hydrochloric acid. This energy center is also related to the solar plexus, which is also called the celiac plexus. This center is associated with our will, power, self-importance, control, drive, aggression, and dominance. It is the center of competitive action and of personal power, self-esteem, and directed intention. When the third center is in balance, you use your will and your drive to overcome your environment and the conditions in your life. Unlike the second center, this center becomes naturally activated when you perceive that your environment is not safe or is unpredictable, so you must protect and take care of your tribe and yourself. The third center is also active when you want something, and you need to use your body to get it. The fourth energy center is located in the space behind your breastbone. It governs the heart, lungs, and thymus gland, 
the body's main immunity gland known as the fountain of youth. The hormones associated with this center include growth hormone and oxytocin, as well as a cascade of 1,400 different chemicals that stimulate the immune system's health via the thymus gland, responsible for growth, repair, and regeneration of the body. The nerve plexus this center governs is the heart plexus. The first three centers are all about survival and reflect our animal nature or our humanity. But in this fourth energy center, we are moving from being selfish to being selfless. This center is associated with the emotions of love and caring, nurturing, compassion, gratitude, thankfulness, appreciation, kindness, inspiration, selflessness, wholeness, and trust. It is where our divinity originates. It is the seat of the soul. When the fourth center is in balance, we care about others and we want to work in cooperation for the greatest good of the community. We feel a genuine love for life. We feel whole and we are satisfied with who we are. The fifth energy center is located in the center of your throat. It governs the thyroid, parathyroid, the salivary glands, and the tissues of the neck. The hormones associated with this center include the thyroid hormones T3 and T4, thyroxine, the parathyroid chemicals that govern the body's metabolism and circulating calcium levels. The nerve plexus this center governs is the thyroid plexus. This center is associated with expressing the love you felt in the fourth center, as well as speaking your truth and personally empowering your reality through language and sound. When the fifth center is balanced, you voice your present truth, which includes expressing your love. You feel so pleased with yourself and with life that you just have to share your thoughts and feelings. The sixth energy center is located in the space between the back of your throat and the back of your head. If that's too complicated to picture, just think of it as the center of your brain slightly toward the back of your head. It governs the pineal gland, which is a sacred gland. Some people call the pineal the third eye, but I call it the first eye. It's associated with the door to higher dimensions and shifting your perception so you can see beyond the veil or see reality in a non-linear way. When this center is opened, it's like a radio antenna you can use to tune into higher frequencies beyond the five senses. This is where the alchemist in you awakens. I devote a whole chapter to the pineal gland later in the book, but for now, know that the pineal gland secretes hormones like serotonin and melatonin, as well as some other wonderful metabolites, which are responsible for your circadian rhythms of feeling awake in response to visible light during the day, and sleepy in response to being in darkness at night. In fact, the pineal gland is sensitive to all electromagnetic frequencies beside visible light, and can produce corresponding chemical derivatives of melatonin that change your view of reality. When this gland is in balance, your brain works in a clear manner. You are lucid, more conscious of both your inner world and your outer world, seeing and perceiving more each day. The seventh energy center is located in the center of your head and includes the pituitary gland. This gland has been called the master gland because it governs and creates harmony in a downward cascade from the center of your brain to your pineal gland 
your thyroid gland, your thymus gland, your adrenal glands, your pancreatic gland, and all the way to your sexual glands. This is the center of the body where you experience your greatest expression of divinity. This is where your divinity, your highest level of consciousness, originates. When this gland is in balance, you are in harmony with all things. The eighth energy center is located about 16 inches, 40 centimeters above the head, so it is the only energy center that is not associated with an area of the physical body. The Egyptians called it the Ka. It represents your connection to the cosmos, to the universe, to the whole. When this center becomes activated, you feel worthy to receive, and that opens you up to insights, epiphanies, deep understandings, and creative downloads of frequency and information that come into your physical body and brain not from memories stored in your nervous system, but from the cosmos, the universe, the unified field, or whatever you want to call that power that is greater than our individual selves. We access the data and memory of the quantum field through this center. Evolving Our Energy Now that I have described each of these energy centers in detail, let's take a more dynamic look at how they can work. Certainly our bodies are designed to use energy in each of the centers as I have outlined. But what happens when we do more with our energy than just survive? What happens when instead of releasing all our energy outward to procreate, to digest food, to run from danger and so on, we begin to consistently evolve some of that energy upward from one center to the next, increasing its frequency as it ascends. Here's what that would look like. We start out by channeling our creative energy from the first center. When we feel safe and secure enough to create, that creative energy evolves, ascending and flowing into the second center. When we have to master some limitation or overcome some condition in our environment, we are able to put the creative energy to good use, and then it will flow to the third center, the seat of our will and power. When we successfully transcend the adversity in our life, which has challenged us to grow and overcome, we have the opportunity to feel more whole, more free, and more satisfied, and we are then able to feel genuine love for self and others as the energy flows through and activates the fourth center. When that happens, we then want to express our present truth, what we've learned or the love or wholeness we feel, and that allows the energy to then move through and turn on our fifth center. After this, when the evolution of energy activates the sixth center, dormant areas of the brain open so that the veil of illusion is lifted and we perceive a broader spectrum of reality than we ever saw before. We then begin to feel enlightened, the body moves more into harmony and balance, and our external environment, including the natural world surrounding us, also moves into more harmony and balance as the energy ascends in activating the seventh center. Once we feel that enlightened energy, we begin to truly feel worthy, and the energy can finally rise to activate the eighth center, where we receive the fruits of our efforts, visions, dreams, insights, manifestations and knowingness that come not from anywhere within our minds and bodies as memories, 
but from a greater power in and around us. This continuous flow of evolving energy from our first center to our eighth center is illustrated in figure 4.4a. That's the kind of personal evolution that happens when the energy flows consistently, the ideal. What all too often happens, however, is that the events of our lives and the way we react to them cause our energy to get stuck so that it doesn't flow in this magnificent pattern I just outlined. The places in your body where the energy gets stuck are the energy centers associated with the issues you're dealing with. Figure 4.4b depicts what happens when the energy gets stuck and can't flow to the higher centers. If, for example, a person has been sexually abused or has been conditioned since childhood to think that sex is bad, their energy can stay stuck in the first center, the center associated with sexuality, and they may have problems accessing creativity. If, on the other hand, a person can access their creative energy but doesn't necessarily feel safe enough to use their creativity in the world, instead feeling victimized by their social and interpersonal relationships, or if they have been traumatized or betrayed by another person, they might hold on to that energy in their second center. Such a person would be likely to feel excessive amounts of guilt, shame, suffering, low self-esteem or fear. Now, if a person can get their energy flowing up to the third center, but they have ego issues and they feel self-important, self-absorbed, controlling, domineering, angry, overly competitive and bitter, then their energy gets stuck in the third center and they may have control issues or motivation issues. If a person cannot open their heart and feel love and trust or if they are afraid to express love or how they truthfully feel, energy can also become frozen in the fourth and fifth centers respectively. While energy can get stuck in any of the energy centers, these first three centers are where it tends to get stuck most often. And when it's stuck, it can't evolve and flow in the seamless current described earlier, which switches on the higher energy centers where we're in love with life and want to give back. Getting that circuit flowing the way it was designed to do is the whole point of doing the blessing of the energy centers meditation. We bless each of these centers so we can get stuck energy flowing again. Drawing from our energy field As we discussed earlier, our bodies are surrounded by invisible fields of electromagnetic energy that are always carrying a conscious intention or directive. When we activate each of the body's seven energy centers, we could say that we are expressing energy out of these centers. Simply put, when we as conscious beings activate a specific energy in each individual center, we stimulate the associated neurological plexuses to produce a level of mind that then activates the proper glands, tissues, hormones and chemicals in each center. Once each unique center is turned on, the body emits energy carrying specific information or intention from it. However, if we keep living in survival and we are overly sexual, over-consuming or over-stressed by living our lives from the first three centers, we keep drawing from this invisible field of energy carrying information that surrounds the body, and we are consistently turning it into chemistry. 
The repetition of this process over time causes the field around the body to shrink. See figure 4.5. As a result, we diminish our light, and there is no energy that carries a conscious intention moving through these centers to create the correlated mind in each. Essentially, we've tapped our own energy field as a resource. That limited level of mind with its limited amount of energy in each center will send a limited signal to the surrounding cells, tissues, organs and systems of the body. The result can produce a weakened signal and a lower frequency of energy carrying vital information to the body. Therefore, the lowering frequency of the signals creates disease. We could say that from an energetic level, all disease is a lowering of frequency and an incoherent message. Remember how I said that the lower three energy centers of the body concerned with survival, so they represent our selfish nature? They're about using power, aggression, force or competition so we can survive the conditions in our environment long enough to consume food, to nourish ourselves and then procreate and keep the species going, as opposed to the upper five centers, which represent our selfless nature and are concerned with more altruistic thoughts and emotions. Nature has made these lower three centers very pleasurable so that we keep engaging the actions related to them and what they represent. Having sex, first center, and eating, second center, are quite enjoyable, as is connecting and communicating with others, also the second center. Personal power, third center, can be intoxicating, including the success of overcoming obstacles, getting what we want, competing against others and winning, surviving in a particular environment and pushing ourselves to move our bodies around. You can see then why some people may tend to overutilize one or more of their first three centers and in so doing consume more of the field of vital energy and information surrounding the body. For example, an overly sexual person draws extra energy from the field of energy surrounding their first center a person trapped in shame or guilt who feels victimized, holds on to the emotions of the past and constantly suffers, is consuming excess energy from the energy field surrounding their second center and so holds on to energy in that center. An overly controlling or stressed person pulls additional energy from the field surrounding their third center. When our consciousness is not evolving, neither is our energy. The subatomic level. All of this starts at the subatomic or quantum level. So let's discuss how that happens. Take a look at figure 4.6. If you take two atoms, each with its own nucleus, and you put them together to form a molecule, the overlapping of the two circles where they bond is where they're sharing light and information. And because they're sharing information, they're sharing a similar energy that has a particular frequency. What's holding those two atoms together as a molecule is an invisible field of energy. Once these atoms join to form a molecule and exchange information, they will have different physical properties and characteristics, such as a different density, a different boiling point, and a different atomic weight, to name a few, than when they were sitting side by side separated. It's important to note that what is giving the molecule its specific properties, as well as holding it into form and structure, into matter, 
is the invisible field of energy that is surrounding matter. Molecules could not bond without sharing information and energy. If you add another atom, you form yet another different molecule that again has different physical properties and characteristics and a different atomic structure. And if you keep adding more and more atoms, you form a chemical. And there's an invisible field of energy around that chemical that's holding it together in physical form, giving life to that chemical. Those atomic forces are real and measurable. If you take enough chemicals and you put them together, you're going to ultimately form a cell. And the cell also has an invisible field of energy surrounding it and giving life to the cell. The cell is actually feeding off different frequencies of light. It's not molecules and positive or negative charges that are instructing the cell to do what it does. According to the new field of biology called quantum information biology, it's the biophotons we discussed earlier and their patterns of light and frequency that the cell emits and receives that gives the instructions. The healthier the cell, the more coherent the biophotons it emits. If you remember from what you learned so far, coherence is an orderly expression of frequency. The exchange of information via electromagnetic frequencies of light between the cell and this field of energy surrounding it happens faster than the speed of light, which means it happens on the quantum level. To continue, if you put a group of cells together, you form a tissue, and that tissue has an invisible field of unifying coherent frequency and energy that causes all those individual cells to work together in harmony, functioning as a community. If you take that tissue and further develop it into a more specialized function, you form an organ, and an organ also has an invisible field of electromagnetic energy. That organ literally receives information from this invisible energy field. In fact, the memory of the organ actually exists in the field. The way this can affect transplant patients is fascinating. Probably the most famous example is the story of Claire Sylvia, who wrote a book called A Change of Heart about our experiences after receiving a heart and lung transplant in 1988. All she knew at the time was that her new organs came from an 18-year-old male donor who had died in a motorcycle accident. After the transplant, the 47-year-old professional dancer and choreographer developed cravings for chicken nuggets, french fries, beer, green peppers and Snickers bars, none of which were foods she had enjoyed before. Her personality also changed. She became more assertive, more confident. Her teenaged daughter even teased her about developing a man's gait. When Sylvia eventually tracked down the family of her donor, she discovered the foods she had craved after the transplant were indeed the young man's favorites. That vital information was stored in the light field of the organ. The most dramatic story illustrating this involves an eight-year-old girl who, after receiving a heart transplant from a ten-year-old girl, began having vivid nightmares about being murdered. The donor had indeed been murdered, and the perpetrator had not been caught. The patient's mother took her to a psychiatrist who was convinced that the girl was dreaming about events that had actually occurred. 
they contacted the police who opened an investigation using the girl's detailed account of the murder, including information on the time and place of the crime, the weapon, the physical characteristics of the criminal, and the clothing the murderer was wearing. The killer was identified, arrested, and convicted. So in these cases, that information in the energy field surrounding the transplanted organ changed the expression of the energy field of the individual once the person had a transplant. It's different light and different information mixing with the transplant patient's pre-existing field. The recipient can pick up on that information as memory in the field and it influences their mind and their body. The energy holding specific information is influencing matter. Then when you group organs together, you form a system, such as the musculoskeletal, cardiovascular, digestive, reproductive, endocrine, lymphatic, nervous and immune systems, to name a few. These systems function by drawing information from the invisible field of energy and consciousness that surrounds them. And when you put all the systems together, you form a body that also has an invisible field of electromagnetic energy surrounding it. And that vital electromagnetic field of light is who we really are. Now back to the hormones of stress. As I mentioned earlier, when you're in survival mode and you're drawing too much from this invisible field of energy to turn it into chemistry in your physical body, whether you're oversexed, overeating, overstressed, or all at once, this energetic field around your body diminishes. That means there's not enough energy or light surrounding the body to give the proper instructions to matter for homeostasis, growth and repair. When that occurs, these individual centers no longer receive, process or express energy, and they no longer produce a healthy neurological mind to send the necessary signals to the associated parts of the body where these centers innovate. Since that energy with a conscious intent moving through or activating neurological tissue creates mind, the energy centers diminish in the expression of the minds to regulate the cells, tissues, organs and systems of the body because there's no energy moving through them. The body begins to function more like a piece of matter without the proper coherent energy of light and information. Those mini-brains become incoherent, just as our brain becomes incoherent. In addition, when the brain is incoherent and compartmentalized because of the hormones of stress, that incoherent brain then sends a very incoherent message, like static on a radio, down the central nervous system to each of the plexuses of neurons that have to do with communicating with the body. And when these mini-brains receive incoherent messages, then they send an incoherent message through the organs, tissues and cells in each area of the body that's related to each one of these centers. This in turn affects the hormonal expression and nerve conductivity going to different organs and tissues and cells in the body. And this incoherence begins to create disease or imbalance. The result is that when these individual brains become incoherent, each corresponding area of the body becomes incoherent. And when they don't work well, we don't work well. Increasing Energy In the blessing of the Energy Centers meditation, when you learn how to rest your attention in each of these centers, 
and become aware of the space around them, you create coherence in each of these little brains in the same manner as you create coherence in the big brain between your ears. And as you acknowledge the particle, matter, by resting your attention in your perineum, for the first center, or in the space behind your belly button, for the second center, or in the pit of your gut, for the third center, or in the center of your chest, for the fourth center, and so on, you're anchoring your attention in that center, and where you place your attention is where you place your energy. Then you'll move to placing your attention in or opening your focus to the space around each of those centers, tuning in to the energy beyond that center. And as you do this, it's vitally important that you move into a state of elevated emotion such as love or gratitude or joy. As you know from previous chapters, this is important because the elevated emotion is energy and the longer you can hold that open focus from a state of elevated emotion, the more you will build a very coherent field with a very high frequency around that center in your body. Once you build that coherent field around a center, that center has a coherent energy with the right instructions to draw from. The atoms, molecules and chemicals that form the cells that create the tissues that make up the organs and the systems of the body will be drawing from a new field of light and information and a more coherent energy carrying a more intentional message giving new instructions to each center of the body. The body will then begin to respond to a new mind. As you surrender and move into the present moment, and you understand that where you place your attention is where you are placing your energy, you can build a new field of light and information and raise the frequency of the signal. And that intentional thought directs energy through each center to produce a new mind in that individual brain. As each center draws from a new field of frequency and information, the body moves back toward balance or homeostasis. And in this new state you become more energy and less matter more wave and less particle. The more elevated the emotion, the more energy you create and the more dramatic a shift can result. If on the other hand, you stay stuck in the survival emotions of worry, fear, anxiety, frustration, anger, distrust and so on, you don't have this energy, this information and this light around your body. As the frequency light and energy slow down and become more incoherent in each center, you become more matter and less energy until your body begins to become diseased. That's the point of doing this meditation, to speed up the frequency so it entrains the lower disorganized frequency back into coherence and orderliness, raising the frequency of matter or entraining matter to a new, more coherent mind. But remember, you can't muscle this. You can't just will it or force it to happen. You can't do it by trying. You can't do it by hoping and you can't do it by wishing because you can't do it with your conscious mind. You have to get into your subconscious mind because that's where the operating system is, the autonomic nervous system that functions and controls all these centers. You have to get out of your beta brainwave pattern because beta keeps you in your conscious mind, separated from your subconscious, 
or your autonomic nervous system that actually runs the show. The deeper you go in meditation, from beta brainwaves to alpha brainwaves, and then even to theta brainwaves, the half-awake, half-asleep state of deeper meditation, the slower your frequency and the more access you have to the operating system. So in the blessing of the energy center's meditation, your job is to slow your brainwaves down and combine an elevated emotion with an intent to bless each energy center for the greatest good, loving them into life, and then surrender and allow your autonomic nervous system to take over, because it already knows how to do that without any help from your conscious mind. You're not thinking, you're not visualizing, and you're not analyzing. You're doing something that may at first seem much more difficult. You're planting a seed of information and letting go, allowing it to take the instructions and energy and use them to create more balance and order in your body. We've actually measured how effectively our students can use this meditation to both increase the energy in each of their energy centers and achieve balance among the centers. To do this, we use the gas discharge visualization device that you read about in a previous chapter to take measurements of participants' energy fields both before and after they do the blessing of the energy center's meditation. The GDV technology uses a specialized camera to take images of a subject's finger while a weak and totally painless electrical current is applied to the fingertip for less than a millisecond. The body responds to the current by discharging an electron cloud made up of photons. While the discharge is not visible to the naked eye, the GDV device's camera can capture it and translate it into a digital computer file. Then a software program called BioWell uses the data to create an image like the one you see in Graphic 4 in the color insert. Graphics 4A to 4D show how balanced or imbalanced the subject's energy centers are, both before and after meditation. The BioWell software uses the same GDV data to estimate the frequency of each energy center and compare it to the norm. Balanced energy centers would appear in perfect alignment, while imbalanced centers would make an off-center pattern. The size of the circle representing each energy center shows whether its energy center is less than, equal to, or greater than average, and by how much. The left side of each example in graphic 4 shows the measurements of the subject's energy centers taken before we started our workshop, while the right side shows the measurements taken a few days later. Now look at graphics 5A to 5D. The left side of this figure shows the measurements of the energy field around each student's entire body before we started the event, while the right side shows the measurement of the field around the whole body afterward. We have also used the GDV device to measure how this meditation, as well as any of the other meditations in this book, enhances the energy field surrounding the entire body. As you'll soon read in the instructions at the beginning of the meditation, I repeatedly ask you to place your attention not only on various parts of your body, but also on the space around those parts of your body, and then, at the end of the meditation, on the space around your entire body.
As you have learned, where you place your attention is where you place your energy. So if you are putting your focus on this space, that's naturally where your energy is going to go. In doing this, you're using your attention, awareness and energy to build and enhance the field of light and information surrounding your body. This, in turn, creates order and syntropy instead of disorder and entropy. Now you are more coherent energy and less matter, and you have your own enhanced field of light and information that you can draw from to create. Blessing of the Energy Center's Meditation This meditation has become one of the most popular meditations among our students and has created an impressive number of supernatural results. As I did in the previous chapter, I will give you some basic instructions so that if you choose to do the meditation on your own, you'll know how to proceed. Begin by placing your attention in the first energy center and then move to opening up your attention to the space around this center. Once you can sense this space around the energy center, bless that center for the greatest good and then connect to elevated emotions like love, gratitude or joy to raise the frequency of this center and also create a coherent field of energy. Do this for each of the seven energy centers in the body and when you come to the eighth center, a place about 16 inches above your head, bless this center with gratitude or appreciation or thankfulness because gratitude is the ultimate state of receivership. This center will then begin to open the door to profound information from the quantum field. Now open your focus and place your attention on the electromagnetic energy surrounding your entire body, building a new field of energy. As your body draws from a new field of electromagnetic energy, you become more light, more energy and less matter, and you raise your body's frequency. Remember, if you are going to create the unlimited, you have to feel unlimited. If you're going to heal in a magnificent way, you have to feel magnificent. Tap into elevated emotion and sustain it throughout the meditation. Once you've blessed each of the energy centers, lie down for at least 15 minutes. Relax, surrender, and let your autonomic nervous system take the orders and integrate all this information into your body. Chapter 5. Reconditioning the Body to a New Mind In this chapter, we're going to discuss how to do a breathing technique we use before we start many of our meditations. I'm going to explain it in detail here because understanding how this works is vital to your ability to truly change your energy and free your body from the past. As you'll see, the proper use of the breath is one of the keys to becoming supernatural. To get all the benefits of this technique, your knowledge of what you will be doing and why you will be doing it will serve as the foundation for the experience and so will make the how easier for you not to mention making the technique more effective. Once you understand the physiology of how this particular breath works, you'll be able to assign meaning to the activity, put more intention behind it, do it properly, 
and experience all the benefits of using breath to pull the mind out of the body and then recondition your body to a new mind. Before we start, I want to review the thinking-feeling loop we discussed in Chapter 2 because the concepts are central to the meditation in this chapter. As you will recall, thoughts cause biochemical reactions in your brain that release chemical signals, and those chemical signals make the body feel exactly the way you were just thinking. Those feelings then cause you to generate more thoughts that make you feel the same way you were just thinking. So your thoughts drive your feelings, and your feelings drive your thoughts, and eventually this loop hardwires your brain into the same patterns which conditions your body into the past. And because emotions are a record of past experiences, if you can't think greater than how you feel, this thinking-feeling loop keeps you anchored to your past and creates a constant state of being. This is how the body becomes the mind, or, in time, how your thoughts run you and your feelings own you. So once your body becomes the mind of that emotion, your body is literally in the past. And since your body is your unconscious mind, it is so objective that it does not know the difference between the experience in your life that creates the emotion and the emotion you are creating by thought alone. Once you are caught in this thinking-feeling loop, the body believes it is living in the same past experience 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The body believes it's in the same past experience because to the body, the emotion is literally the experience. Let's say you've had a few difficult experiences in your life that have branded you emotionally, and you've never got over the fear, bitterness, frustration, and resentment those experiences engendered. So every time you have an experience in your external environment that is similar in some way to what happened previously, the experience triggers you and you feel the same emotions that you did at the time of the first event. Once you feel the same emotion you felt 30 years ago when the event initially occurred, it's quite possible that you will behave in the same way you did at that time because those emotions are driving your conscious or unconscious thoughts and behaviors. Now those emotions have become so familiar to you that you believe that's who you are. By the time you are in your mid-thirties, if you keep thinking, acting and feeling the same way without changing anything about yourself, the majority of who you are becomes a memorized set of automatic thoughts, reflexive emotional reactions, unconscious habits and behaviors, subconscious beliefs and perceptions, and routine familiar attitudes. In fact, 95% of who we are as adults is so habituated through repetition that the body has been programmed to be the mind, and the body, not the conscious mind, is running the show. That means that only about 5% of who we are is conscious, and the remaining 95% is a subconscious body-mind program. So in order to create something significantly different in our lives, we must find a way to pull the mind out of the body and change our state of being, which is exactly what the meditation I will teach you at the end of this chapter is designed to do. How Energy Gets Stored in the Body 
Now let's look at how the thinking-feeling loop works in relation to the body's energy centers, especially the first three, the survival centers where it causes the most problems. That's because most people's thoughts and feelings activate those energy centers. As you'll remember from the previous chapter, each of the body's energy centers has its own individual energy, information, glands, hormones, chemistry, and neurocircuitry, and its own individual mini-brain or mind. Or really, each has a mind of its own. These mini-brains become programmed in the body to operate subconsciously through the autonomic nervous system. In this way, each center has its own energy and corresponding level of consciousness, and each is associated with specific motions corresponding to that center. So let's say you think a thought such as, My boss is unfair. Figure 5.1 depicts how thinking that thought turns on a neurological network in your brain. Then you have another thought. I'm underpaid. And you turn on a second neurological network. Then you think, I'm overworked. And now you're off to the races. Because mind is the brain in action. If you keep thinking more thoughts along the same lines, and you activate enough networks of neurons firing in tandem, in a specific sequence, pattern, and combination, you produce a level of mind which then creates an internal representation or an image of yourself in your brain's frontal lobe. That's where you can make your internal thoughts more real than your outer environment. In this case, you'll see yourself as an angry person. If you accept, believe, and surrender to that idea, that concept, or that image without any analysis, the neurotransmitters, chemical messages that send information between neurons in your brain that produce that level of mind, begin to influence neuropeptides, which are the chemical messengers created by the autonomic nervous system within the limbic brain. Think of neuropeptides as molecules of emotion. Those neuropeptides signal hormonal centers, in this case turning on the adrenal glands in the third energy center. As the adrenal glands release their hormones, you're feeling pretty ticked off. And you broadcast a specific energy signature through the third energy center that in effect carries the message, send me another reason to feel the way I'm already feeling. Send me another reason to feel angry. As this center becomes activated, it produces a specific frequency that carries a particular message. Your brain monitors your chemical state, and the moment you feel angry, it's going to think more corresponding thoughts equal to how you feel. My boss is such a jerk. I should quit my job. What an idiot driver. My co-worker stole my idea. I'm right and everyone else is wrong. It fires and wires similar circuits in the same way over and over again. And if you turn on enough of those circuits, you keep producing that same level of mind. This reaffirms your identity with the same image in your forebrain. And then the limbic brain creates more of the same neuropeptides, which then signal the same hormones from your third energy center. And you start to feel even more angry and frustrated which then influences you to think more of the same corresponding thoughts. The cycle can go on for decades, whether what you're thinking is justified or not, 
and then the redundancy of that cycle hardwires the brain into a certain pattern, in this case, the pattern of anger, and repeatedly conditions the body emotionally into the past. The body becomes the mind of anger, so the anger is no longer in the mind that's in your brain, the 5% of your thought that is conscious, but instead the emotion of anger becomes stored as energy in the body-mind, the 95% of your mind that is subconscious. Because it's subconscious, you're not aware that you are doing this, but that is exactly what is happening. So all that emotion which was originally created from thought, because all thoughts have a corresponding energy, becomes stored as energy in the body, stuck in the third center, the solar plexus. This stored energy produces a corresponding biological effect. In this case, it could be adrenal fatigue, digestive problems, kidney issues, or a weakened immune system, not to mention other psychological effects like a short temper, impatience, frustration, or intolerance. Over the years, you keep producing the same thoughts that keep signaling the same feelings, and you continue hardwiring your brain into this very finite pattern. And in the same way, you keep reconditioning the body to become the mind of anger. Thus, an enormous amount of your creative energy is stored in the body's third energy center as anger, bitterness, frustration, intolerance, impatience, control, or hatred. What if, instead of feeling angry, you start having thoughts that make you feel victimized or guilty? Life is too hard. I'm a bad parent. I shouldn't have been so rude. Did I do something wrong? If you take a look at figure 5.2, you'll see that the same thing happens. Thinking those thoughts turns on a different network of neurons in your brain. If you fire and wire enough of those networks, you produce a different level of mind, and the brain creates the internal image of yourself that reaffirms your identity, in this case, as a guilty person. You start thinking, God's going to punish me. Nobody loves me. I'm worthless. Once you accept, believe, and surrender to these guilty thoughts without any analysis, the neurotransmitters activating neural networks in your brain influence a different blend of neuropeptides, this time neuropeptides that are equal to those thoughts about feeling guilty. And then those neuropeptides signal a different hormonal center, in this case, the second center. And over time, as you recreate the same loop of thinking and feeling, and feeling and thinking, you're going to begin to store your energy in the body in the second center. This begins to produce a biological effect. Since you feel guilt in your gut, you may start to feel nauseated or sick, or you may experience pain in this area of your body along with emotions like suffering, unhappiness, or even sadness. If over time you keep feeling guilty, you think more guilty thoughts that fire and wire more neurons that signal more neuropeptides that cause the release of more hormones in the second center. As this happens, you continue to condition the body to become the mind of guilt and suffering, so you're storing more and more energy as emotion in the second center. You also continue to broadcast a specific energetic signature carrying specific information, 
through the second energy center into your body's energy field. So now let's say that you start having a totally different set of thoughts. What happens if you have sexual fantasies about someone? Now you're turning on a different network of neurons in your brain and you're producing a different level of mind. And just as before, if you get enough of those networks firing and wiring, you're going to get a different internal representation in the frontal lobe of your brain. And once the thought or image you are paying attention to becomes more real than your outer world, in that moment the thought literally becomes the experience, and the end product of that experience is the corresponding feeling. As a result, your body gets turned on. That center now is activated with a specific energy carrying a specific message or intent, which then turns on the individual plexus of neurons in that center to produce a specific mind, which then signals genes in the corresponding glands to make chemicals and hormones equal to those thoughts. Now you're convinced you're the stud or vixen of the universe. And if you accept, believe, and surrender to that thought or image of yourself without any analysis, then those neurotransmitters in the brain will begin to influence a different blend of neuropeptides in the limbic brain. They'll signal hormones in the first energy center, programming the autonomic nervous system to prepare that center to become activated. I think you're very familiar with the biological effects that happen next. Those biological reactions will cause you to keep feeling a certain way, and you're going to think more corresponding thoughts equal to that feeling. And now you're storing energy in the first center, and you are broadcasting a vibrational signature carrying a specific message from that center into the energy field in your body. Your brain is monitoring how you are feeling, and you're going to generate even more corresponding thoughts. And the cycle continues. This is how the body responds to the mind and ultimately becomes the mind. So now you understand how your thoughts condition your body to become the mind of whatever emotion you're experiencing and how, when that happens, you're storing more energy in the corresponding energy center for that emotion. The center where the majority of that energy gets stored is the one associated with the emotions you have been repeatedly experiencing. If you are overly lustful, overly sexed, or overly preoccupied with wanting to be seen by others as sexually desirable, your energy is stuck in your first center. If you experience an overabundance of guilt, sadness, fear, depression, shame, unworthiness, low self-esteem, suffering, and pain, your energy will become stuck in your second center. And if you have problems with anger, aggression, frustration, control issues, judgment or self-importance, your energy is stuck in your third center. Hopefully, by now, you have done the blessing of the energy center's meditation and have begun to experience how the energy in each of your centers is able to evolve from one center to the next, increasing its frequency as it moves up. In time, the body becomes the mind of that emotion, and once that energy as an emotion is stored, or more accurately, once it becomes trapped, in one or more of the lower energy centers, then the body is literally in the past. This means you no longer have energy available to create a new destiny. When that happens, your body becomes more matter and less energy, because as you have read, 
The first three centers, which are based on survival emotions, shrink the vital field of energy surrounding your body. To be clear, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever have sex, enjoy food, or even feel stressed. What I am saying is that when you are out of balance, it's because these first three centers are out of balance. And imagine if all three of these survival centers become overstimulated all at once. You can easily see how your body's energy would diminish over time. When that happens, there's not much available energy for growth, repair, healing, creation, or even just returning to balance. By the same means, many people who feel out of balance may retreat from their lives and limit the amount of food they eat. By digesting less food, their body has more energy to balance itself. They may also abstain from sexual intercourse for a period of time to allow the body to restore itself. During their retreat, they will also remove themselves from the constant stimulation they normally receive from their environment, including their friends, kids, co-workers, appointments and schedules, job, computers, homes and cell phones. This helps the body keep from reacting, consciously or unconsciously, to all those familiar elements in their outer world that they associate with thoughts and emotional memories from the past. The breath technique I'm about to teach you gives you a way to liberate that trapped energy that's stored in the first three centers so it can be free to flow to the brain from whence it came. And when you use the breath to liberate those emotions, that energy becomes available for higher purposes. You'll have more energy to heal yourself, create a different life, manifest more wealth or have a mystical experience, to name just a few possibilities. Those emotions that are stored in the body as energy will be transmuted into a different type of energy, carrying a different message through the elevated emotions of inspiration, freedom, unconditional love and gratitude. It's the same energy, it's just locked up in the body. The breath is a way to pull the mind out of the body. You will be using your body as an instrument of consciousness to ascend your energy, turning those survival emotions into creative emotions. As you free your body from the chains of the past and liberate this energy, you have available energy to do the uncommon, to achieve the supernatural. The Body as a Magnet Think about a magnet as you look at figure 5.3. Magnets, of course, have polarity. They each have a north pole and a south pole. One end has a positive charge, and the other end has a negative charge. The polarity between the ends of a magnet is what causes the magnet to produce an electromagnetic field. The stronger the polarity between the two poles, the larger the electromagnetic field the magnet produces. You can't see that electromagnetic field, but it exists, and it can be measured. The strength of a magnet's electromagnetic field can even influence matter. If you were to take tiny metal shavings and lay them on a piece of paper, put another piece of paper over the first piece of paper, and then set a magnet on top of that second piece of paper, those metal shavings would organize themselves within the magnet's electromagnetic field. The electromagnetic field of the magnet is powerful enough to affect material reality, 
even though the frequency of this field exists beyond your senses. Figure 5.4 illustrates this. The Earth is a magnet, and like any other magnet, it has a North Pole and a South Pole, as well as an electromagnetic field surrounding it. While this field itself is invisible, we're all familiar with one amazing way to see that it exists. The Earth's electromagnetic field deflects the Sun's photons. During a solar flare or mass coronal ejection, that field deflects trillions of tons of photons hurled towards the Earth in a pulsating, colorful phenomenon known as the Northern Lights. Your body is also a magnet. Ancient cultures, especially Asian cultures, have known this for thousands of years. Your North Pole is your mind and brain, and your South Pole is your body at the base of your spine. When you're living by the hormones of stress, the emotions of survival, or when you're over-utilizing the other two survival energy centers, you are constantly drawing energy from this invisible field. The energy then no longer flows through the body because the body, in survival mode, is pulling the energy from the field and storing it in the body, specifically in the first three energy centers. This is what happens when the thinking-feeling loop we talked about earlier is activated. If this goes on long enough, the body won't have any electrical charge running through it at all, and without an electrical charge, it can't create the field of electromagnetic energy that normally surrounds it. When that happens, the body is no longer like a magnet. Now it's like a piece of ordinary metal, a magnet that's lost its charge. As you can see in figure 5.5, the body then becomes more matter and less energy, or more particle and less wave. Of course, if there were a way to get this energy that's stored in the first three centers moving again, the current would resume flowing and the body would recreate the electromagnetic field. The breath does just that. It gives us a way to pull the mind out of the body and to move all that stored energy from the first three centers up the spine to the brain, restoring the electromagnetic field surrounding the body. Once that happens, we can use that energy for things other than survival. Let's take a look at the way our physical bodies are constructed so we can understand what makes that possible. Take a look at figure 5.6. You have a bone at the base of your spine called your sacrum that looks like an upside-down triangle with a plateau on the top. On the top of that flat surface sits the spinal column, which extends all the way up to your skull. Inside that closed system is the central nervous system, which is made up of the brain and the spinal cord. The spinal cord is actually an extension of your brain. The skull and the spinal column protect this most delicate system. The central nervous system is one of your body's most important systems because it controls and coordinates all the other systems in the body. Without the aid of the central nervous system, you couldn't digest your food. You couldn't void your bladder. You couldn't move your body and your heart couldn't beat. You couldn't even blink your eyes without the nervous system. So you can think of the nervous system as the electrical wiring that runs the machine of your body. 
Inside this closed system is cerebrospinal fluid that's filtered from the blood in the brain. This fluid bathes the brain and the spinal cord and it's responsible for giving the central nervous system buoyancy. It acts as a cushion to protect the brain and spinal cord from trauma and it flows in various rivers and paths that transport nutrients and chemicals to different parts of the nervous system all over the body. By its very nature, this fluid acts as a conduit to enhance electrical charges in the nervous system. Now let's go back to your sacrum. Every time you inhale, that sacrum bone flexes back slightly, and every time you exhale, it flexes forward just a little bit. This is an extremely subtle movement, too subtle for you to notice even if you try, but it happens. And at the same time you inhale, the sutures of your skull, the joints between the individual plates of your skull, which fit together like pieces of a puzzle and give the skull a degree of flexibility, open up just slightly, and as you exhale, they close back up. Again, this is extremely subtle. You can't feel it happening. The movement of your sacrum back and forth as you slowly breathe in and out, along with the sutures of the skull opening and closing, propagates a wave within the fluid of this closed system, and it slowly pumps that cerebrospinal fluid up your spine all the way to the brain passing through four chambers called cerebral aqueducts or ventricles. If you were to tag one molecule of cerebrospinal fluid and follow it from the base of your spine all the way up to your brain and then all the way back down to your sacrum, you'd see that it would take 12 hours to make a complete circuit. So in essence, you flush your brain twice a day. Check out figure 5.7 to see what that looks like. So think about what would happen if you contracted the intrinsic muscles of your perineum, your pelvic floor, the same muscles you use for intercourse and elimination, and you locked them down, and then while they were locked down, you next contracted the muscles of your lower abdomen, locking those muscles down, and then you did the same with the muscles of your upper abdomen. If you kept squeezing and contracting those muscles in your first three energy centers by contracting your core muscles, that fluid in your central nervous system would move up, as illustrated in figure 5.8. You'd be moving that cerebrospinal fluid in your central nervous system up your spine. Each time you tighten the muscles of those centers, the fluid would be forced upward. Now imagine you then placed your attention on the top of your head. Where you place your attention is where you place your energy. So if you put your attention at the top of your head, that would become your target for moving energy. Now think about taking one slow, steady breath through your nose, and at the same time, squeezing and holding the muscles of your perineum, then those of your lower abdomen, and then those of your upper abdomen, all while following your breath up your spine and through your chest, your throat and your brain, and all the way to the top of your head. Imagine that when you get to the top of your head, you hold your breath as you keep squeezing. You'd be pulling that cerebrospinal fluid all the way up toward your brain. That's significant because cerebrospinal fluid is made up of proteins and salts in solution, and the moment proteins and salts dissolve in solution, they become charged. If you take a charged molecule and accelerate it, 
as you would if you pulled that molecule up your spine, you create an inductance field. An inductance field is an invisible field of electromagnetic energy that moves in a circular motion in the direction that charged molecules are moving in. The more charged molecules you accelerate, the bigger and more powerful the inductance field. Take a look at figure 5.9 to see what an inductance field looks like. Think of the spinal cord as a fiber optic cable that acts as a two-way highway, simultaneously communicating information from the body to the brain and from the brain to the body. Every second, important information is relayed from your brain to your body, such as the desire to walk across the room or to scratch an itch. At the same instant, a lot of information from the body is carried up your spinal cord toward the brain, such as knowledge of where your body is in space or the signal that you are hungry. Once you accelerate these charged molecules in one direction up the spine, the resulting inductance field will reverse the current of information flowing from the brain down through the body, and it will then draw energy from the lower three centers up the spine to the brain. Take a look at figure 5.10a to see how that works. Now there's a current running through the body in the central nervous system, just like a magnet, and as a result, the same kind of electromagnetic field of energy that surrounds a magnet surrounds the body, as you can see in figure 5.10b. The field of electromagnetic energy you've created is a three-dimensional field, and as it moves, this energy creates a torsion field or a torus field. By the way, the shape of this electromagnetic field is a familiar pattern in the universe. This pattern shows up in the shape of an apple, as well as in the shape of a black hole in a distant galaxy. See figure 5.11. So now you understand that by doing this breathing technique, you are starting to stir up all this stored energy in a very big way. And if you do this technique correctly, and you do it enough times, you are going to wake up a sleeping dragon. Evolving the energy to the brain Once this energy becomes activated, the sympathetic nervous system, a subsystem of your autonomic nervous system that arouses the brain and body in response to a threat in your outer environment, turns on and energy begins to move up from the body's lower three energy centers to the brain. But instead of the body being aroused because of some external condition, you are turning on the sympathetic nervous system by passionately engaging the breath from within. As the sympathetic nervous system starts to merge with the parasympathetic nervous system, another subset of your autonomic nervous system that relaxes your brain and body, such as after a big meal, it is as if traveling energy from the lower centers is ejaculated into the brain. When this energy reaches the brainstem, a gate called the thalamic gate opens up and all that energy is permitted to enter the brain. Once this energy that was initially stored in the body enters the brain, the brain produces gamma brainwave patterns. We've recorded many students producing gamma brainwaves during this breathing technique. Gamma brainwaves, which I call superconsciousness, are notable not only because they produce the highest amount of energy of all the brainwaves, but also because that energy comes from within the body instead of being released in reaction to a stimulus in the environment 
the outer world. In contrast, the brain produces high-range beta brainwaves when the body releases stress hormones, allowing you to be super alert to danger in your environment. In beta, the outer world seems more real than your inner world. While gamma waves create a similar type of arousal in the brain, which then causes a heightened sense of awareness, consciousness, attention and energy related to more creative, transcendental or mystical experiences, the difference is that in gamma, whatever is happening in your inner world becomes much more real to you than many experiences you've had in your outer world. Take a look at figure 5.12 and review how similar beta and gamma brainwaves are. Many of our students who do this breath technique produce significant high beta brainwaves on their way to the gamma range, the highest frequency brainwaves, or they may simply stay in these very high level beta states. We're finding that being in the highest levels of beta can also signal that the person is paying more attention to their inner world than their outer world. In addition to seeing more energy in the brain after this breathing technique, we have also repeatedly observed more significant amounts of brain coherence. Take a look at graphics 6A and 6B in the color insert. You can see two students who have done the breath successfully. They have very high-frequency beta brainwaves that transition to gamma brainwaves. Notice the high amplitudes of their brainwaves in gamma. The higher the amplitudes, the higher the energy in their brains. The students demonstrate 160 and 260 standard deviations above typical gamma brainwaves. To give you a reference, three standard deviations above normal is usually considered high. In graphics 6A, 4, you can also witness much more brain coherence after the breath. The red patterns in the brain show extremely high amounts of brain coherence in every measured brainwave state. As you do this powerful breathing technique, you are drawing the energy that's been stored in those lower three centers the energy you use for orgasm and to make a baby, to digest a meal, to run from a predator, and instead of releasing it out into chemistry, you're going to draw it up your spine like you would draw fluid up a straw and release it into your brain. In fact, there's a tube of energy or light called the prana tube running along your spinal column. See figure 5.13. Prana is the Sanskrit word for life force. Yogis have known about this tube, which is not a physical structure, but an energetic one, for thousands of years. This tube is considered etheric because of the electrical information in the spine that constantly moves through it. The more energy moves in the physical spinal cord, the more energy is created as light in this tube. And the more energy created in this tube the more energy moves in the spine and the greater the expression of life. Sometimes when I teach this meditation, people will say to me, I don't really feel my prana tube. Well, you don't really feel your left ear either until you put your attention on it, right? So when I ask you to contract your muscles and pull that energy up, you'll be pulling it up through the spine and creating a more powerful prana tube along your spinal cord. 
It's important to add here that this is not a passive breath. It's an extremely active, passionate process. Moving this stored energy, energy that has been stored for years and years, maybe even decades, takes an act of intention and will. To evolve your limited survival emotions, as an alchemist turns base metals like lead into gold, you are taking self-limiting emotions like anger, frustration, guilt, suffering, grief, and fear, and turning them into elevated emotions, such as love, gratitude, and joy. Other elevated emotions to consider tapping into include inspiration, excitement, enthusiasm, fascination, awe, inspiration, wonder, appreciation, kindness, abundance, compassion, empowerment, nobility, honor, invincibility, uncompromising will, strength and freedom, not to mention divinity itself, being moved by the spirit, trusting in the unknown or in the mystic or the healer within you. Remember, evolving this energy takes a level of intensity that is greater than the body as the mind, greater than your addiction to any survival emotion. You must be inspired to become more energy than matter, using your body as an instrument of consciousness to ascend your energy. So don't let your body be your mind. Remember that you are liberating your stuck energy, turning guilt or suffering or anger or aggression into pure energy, and as the body liberates that energy, you're freeing yourself, and you will feel overjoyed, in love with life, and inspired to be alive. As you pull this energy up the spine in this meditation, you'll follow your breath all the way to the top of your head. When it gets there, I want you to hold your breath while you keep squeezing those muscles in your perineum and your abdomen. When you do that, you increase the pressure inside your spinal cord and spinal column. That pressure, called intrathecal pressure, is inside a closed system. It's the same pressure you exert when you take a breath and lift something heavy. You're pushing against your insides. But in this breath, you'll be very specifically directing all that pressure, all that energy, and all that spinal fluid up your spine and into your brain. When that pressurized fluid reaches the back of your brainstem, all of a sudden the lower brain centers like the brainstem, cerebellum, and limbic brain open up to this energy through a cluster of nuclei called the reticular formation. That energy then passes through the thalamic gate up to the thalamus, the part of the brain that relays signals from the sensory receptors, located in the midbrain, which serves as a junction box. Next, all of that stored energy moves directly into your higher brain center, the neocortex. That's when gamma waves begin to occur. When the energy reaches the thalamus, it is also relayed to the pineal gland, and something amazing happens. That gland releases some very powerful elixirs, one of which anesthetizes the analytical mind and thinking brain. See figure 5.14, which shows the thalamus, the reticular formation, the thalamic gate, and the moment of energy hitting the higher brain centers. We'll talk more about the pineal gland in a later chapter, but for right now, know that when that happens, it's like an orgasm in your head. This is a very powerful energy that has been called the movement of the Kundalini. 
I personally don't like to use that word because it may conjure up opinions or beliefs from a limited understanding of this energy that may discourage some people from doing the breath. But I do want you to understand that this is the energy you are evoking with this breath. If you look at graphic 6B4 in the color insert, you can see the area surrounding the pineal gland is quite active at the student producing gamma brainwaves. Look at the blue arrows. The red area suggests the activation of energy in the pineal gland as well as a region of the limbic brain associated with strong emotions and formation of new memories. Graphic 6B5 is a three-dimensional picture of the same student's brain. Once again, the pineal area shows a significant amount of energy coming from inside the brain. Embracing Elevated Emotions You've just read how the breathing exercise in this chapter pulls the mind out of the body as it liberates stored energy from the first three energy centers, the centers of survival. Once you do that, it's time to recondition the body to a new mind, the second part of the meditation, which involves attaining elevated emotional states. I want to clarify here why embracing elevated emotions is so powerful. As you've learned from our discussion about genes in the second chapter, we now know that it's the environment that signals the gene, not the other way round. If an emotion is the end product of an experience in the environment, it is the emotion that turns gene expression on or off. When you embrace these elevated emotions in this meditation, what you are actually doing is signaling your genes ahead of the environment. The body doesn't know the difference between an emotion created by an experience you are having in the outside environment and an experience you are creating internally by embracing this new elevated emotion. So when you embrace that elevated emotion and think thoughts that are greater than the self-limiting ones that kept you stuck in the past, your body begins to prepare chemically for the future because it thinks that future is happening now. In other words, if you do the meditation correctly enough times, the body responds as though the healing or any condition you are manifesting in your environment has already taken place. These elevated emotions have a higher and faster frequency than more base emotions like guilt, fear, jealousy and anger. And since all frequency carries information, when we change the frequency, we change our energy. That new energy can then carry new information, a new consciousness or set of intentions or thoughts. The more elevated the emotion, the faster the frequency and the more you feel like energy instead of matter, and the more energy becomes available to create a more coherent energy field, shifting further away from disease and more towards health, or for that matter towards signaling any gene. When your emotions are self-limiting, on the other hand, they have a lower frequency and you feel more like matter instead of energy and then it takes more time to create change in your life. Here's an example. If at some point in the past you were shocked, betrayed or traumatized by an event with a high emotional charge that has left you feeling pain or sadness or fear, chances are that experience has been branded into your biology in numerous ways. It's also possible that the genes that were activated by this experience might keep your body from healing. 
So in order for you to change your body into a new genetic expression, the inner emotion you create has to be greater than the emotion from the past outer experience. The energy of your empowerment or the amplitude of your inspiration must be greater than your pain or sadness. Now you are changing the inner environment of the body, which is the outer environment of the cell. The genes for health can be upregulated, while the genes for disease can be downregulated. The more profound the emotion, the louder you're knocking on your genetic door, and the more you're going to signal those genes to change the structure and function of your body. That's how it works. We can actually prove this because in one of our 2017 advanced workshops in Tampa, we measured gene expression in a randomized selection of 30 workshop participants. The results showed that our students were able to significantly change the expression of eight genes over the course of the four-day workshop by changing their internal states. There is only one possibility in 20 that the results were due to chance. That's the threshold of significance that statisticians usually use. The functions of these genes are far-ranging. They're involved in neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons in response to novel experiences and learning, protecting the body against various influences that tend to age cells, regulating cell repair, including the ability to move stem cells to those sites in the body where they are needed to repair damaged or aging tissue building cellular structures, especially the cytoskeleton, the framework of rigid molecules that give our cells shape and form, eliminating free radicals and so decreasing oxidative stress associated with aging and many major health conditions, and helping our bodies identify and eliminate cancerous cells, thereby suppressing the growth of cancer tumors. Activating the genes for neurogenesis was particularly significant because most of the time our students were in meditation. They were so present in their inner world of imagination that their brains believed they were in the actual event. See figure 5.15 below to learn what each of these genes does and why it is important for our health. If our students have changed their gene expression by creating elevated emotions in just a few days, imagine what you can do if you practice this meditation for a few weeks. By using this breath technique to release the familiar emotions stored in the body from years of thinking and feeling the same way, and then by emotionally rehearsing new states every day, with practice these unlimited emotions will become the new normal for you. Your brain will think different thoughts equal to those elevated emotions. Finally, by embracing these unlimited emotions instead of the same limited ones, when you understand that you are signaling new genes and making new proteins that are responsible for the change in structure and function of your body, you can assign more meaning to what you are doing. That leads to a greater intention, which creates an even greater outcome. It is a scientific fact that we use about 1.5% of our DNA. The rest is called junk DNA. There is a principle in biology called endowment that holds that nature never wastes anything that is not going to use. In other words, if the junk DNA is there, there must be a reason. Otherwise, nature, in its infinite wisdom, would have evolved it away. 
because the universal law is, if you don't use it, you lose it. So think of your genes as a library of potentials. There are infinite combinations of gene variations that can be expressed in those latent genes. They are waiting for you to activate them. There are genes for an unlimited genius mind, for longevity, for immortality, for an uncompromising will, for the capacity to heal, for having mystical experiences, for regenerating tissues and organs, for activating the hormones of youth so you have greater energy and vitality, for photographic memory, and for doing the uncommon, just to name a few. It's all equal to your imagination and creativity. As you signal any of those genes ahead of the environment, your body will express a greater potential by expressing new genes to make new proteins for a greater expression of life. So when I ask you to feel certain elevated emotions, when you recondition the body to a new mind, know that as you embrace each emotion, you are knocking on your own genetic door. So I invite you to surrender to the process and fully engage in the experience. Reconditioning the body to a new mind meditation. Before we start the formal meditation, we're going to do some practice sessions. They build on several individual instructions so you can learn this step by step. Once you've mastered each individual step, we can put it all together. So let's start by sitting up straight in a chair and putting both feet flat on the floor or sitting on the floor in the lotus cross-leg position with a pillow under your buttocks. Place your hands uncrossed in your lap. If you like, you can close your eyes. When you're ready to begin, lift up your perineum, your pelvic floor, the same muscles that you use for intercourse and elimination. Do not hold your breath as you do this. Breathe normally. Squeeze those muscles as tightly as you can and hold for five seconds. Then let go and relax. Do it again and hold it for the same amount of time. Do it a third time, holding it for about five seconds and then relax again. I want you to gain conscious control over these muscles because you are going to be using them in a different way. Now, contract the same muscles in the perineum and at the same time, contract the muscles in your lower abdomen. Pull your lower abdomen up and in, locking down these first two centers. Hold for five seconds and then relax. Pull those same muscles up and in again and squeeze. Hold for five seconds again and then relax. Repeat this once more. Remember to keep breathing as you do this. Don't hold your breath. Now this next time, squeeze the muscles of your perineum and at the same time squeeze the muscles of your lower abdomen while also contracting the muscles of your upper abdomen. You're tightening your entire core now, the first three centers. Hold all of those muscles for five seconds and relax. Do this again, pulling the muscles in a little more this time. Hold for five seconds and then relax. 
Now do it one more time. And as you squeeze and hold those muscles, see if you can squeeze them a little tighter and lift them a little higher. Hold for a while and then relax. Since experience creates neurological networks in your brain, as you perform each step and build on the previous one, you are installing the neurological hardware in your brain in preparation for the experience. I am asking you to use the same muscles that you might have used for years, but now in a different way. This action will begin to milk these centers and liberate energy that's been stored in your body for a very long time. Now we're going to change it up. Take your finger and place it on the top of your head and work your fingernail right into the center of your scalp so you will remember where that point is once you take your finger away. Remember that where you place your attention is where you place your energy. So that point is your target. Put your hands back in your lap and without contracting any muscles yet, take one slow, steady breath through your nose. All I want you to do is follow your breath from your perineum through your lower abdomen, through your upper abdomen, through the center of your chest, through your throat, through your brain, all the way to the top of your head where your finger was. When you get to the top of your head, hold your breath and keep your attention right on the top of your head and let your energy follow your awareness. Hold for about 10 seconds and then relax. Place your finger on the top of your head again, then take it away, and make sure you can feel that point without your finger there. Rest your hands on your thighs. Now do one more breath without contracting any muscles. This time, when you inhale through your nose, imagine you are pulling energy up that tube, like drawing fluid up a straw, all the way to the top of your head. When you get to the top of your head, hold your breath for about the same amount of time you did before and let your energy follow your awareness. Then relax. Now it's time to start putting it all together. With this next breath, when you inhale through your nose, pull those muscles up and in at the exact same time. Start by locking the muscles of your perineum engaging the muscles of your lower abdomen and simultaneously contracting the muscles in your upper abdomen. And as you squeeze the muscles in each center with the intention of pulling all that stored energy in the lower body into the brain, follow your breath through each of those three centers. As you continue to squeeze those muscles and lock those first three centers down, pull your breath up through your chest the fourth center, then through your throat, the fifth center, then through your brain, the sixth center. Pull it all the way up to the top of your head. Keep your attention there and hold your breath as you keep squeezing your core muscles. Hold for about 10 seconds and then relax as you exhale. Repeat that breath at least two more times 
tightening the muscles of your first three centers as you pull your breath up your spine through each energy center, all the way to the top of your head. Then hold your breath for a time, and finally relax as you exhale. Remember, as you do this, you're using your body as an instrument of consciousness, and your full intent should be to pull the mind out of the body. You're liberating energy that has been locked in your lower three centers and moving it up to the higher centers where you can use it for healing your body or creating something new instead of just for survival. Practicing this many times so you are very familiar with these steps will be very useful before you begin several of the meditations in this book. Be patient with yourself. Just like learning anything for the first time, you have to do this many times before you truly master it. In the beginning, it may feel awkward because you have to synchronize the actions of your body with the intention of your mind. Eventually, though, if you practice this technique enough, you will be able to coordinate all these steps into one motion. I'm aware there are many different breathing techniques, and you may well have had success with one or more of them in the past. Even so, I urge you to try this one, even if you already have some other favorite, because if you do something new, you can have a new experience. If you keep doing the same thing, you'll keep creating the same experience. And if you do nothing, you get nothing. Yet, this technique takes some real effort, but once you become more skilled, you'll see it's worth the effort and then some. You are now ready to begin the formal meditation. If you purchase my Reconditioning the Body to a New Mind CD or audio download from drjoedispenza.com, you'll find the recording includes a song I've specifically chosen to truly inspire you to raise your energy. As you listen, I want you to interpret the music as the movement of energy. If you do the meditation on your own, Practice the breath while you listen to one inspiring song that's between four and seven minutes long. Then open your focus, putting your attention on different parts of your body, as well as the space around those parts of the body. Next, unfold as pure consciousness into the unified field, staying in the generous present moment and becoming no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, and in no time. Now it's time to cultivate several elevated emotions one by one, emotionally rehearsing each. Remember, the more powerful your feelings, the more you are upregulating your own genes. Bless your body. Bless your life. Bless your soul. Bless your future as well as your past. Bless the challenges in your life and bless the intelligence within you that is giving you life. Finish by giving thanks for a new life before it has been made manifest. 